Hi, I'm Benjamin Light. And I'm Marcus Marks. And welcome to another episode of Bros Watch PLL2. Today we're discussing the big one, Season 6A finale, S6E10. Game over, Charles. This was a uh, controversial episode. Mm-hmm. Big finale, we find out who A is, we find out who Redcoat is, and who the Black Widow is. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get into it. Uh, lots of stuff to talk about. Uh, a big one, obviously. We'll, we'll get to that at that part of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Overall, I'd say I enjoyed it, not without some gripes, though. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's lots to tear into here. This this might be a long one. I don't know. We'll see. Before we get into that, though, uh, we should point out that this episode will be released most likely Friday, August 14th. Uh, on Monday, we will be doing a roundtable with Heather Hogan and Jacob Clifton. So uh, I want to mention this at the top of the episode. So if you want to send us questions, tweet them at us or email us, broswatchplo 2 at gmail.com. Um, I, sh- and- I should mention, if, if you send us questions that are like, why did this plot point happen? I mean, I guess we can answer them, but it's just going to be our opinion. Like, I, I noticed we've been starting to get those a lot on Twitter. Mm. It's like, how come this will happen? And it's like, well, I don't know. I didn't write it, but I can come up with something. Yeah, I mean, uh, I I would love to. Um, also, and then in about a week later, we'll be doing a similar thing with delays from the Bustle PLL podcast. So, yeah, just just send us lots and lots of questions. Just keep them coming. Uh, Inundate us. Definitely. So let's let's just jump right in. Yeah, we're gonna open up. Let me bring out the video here. We're gonna open up. Uh, kind of a cool tilting angle. It's Radley. It's nighttime. In media ray. Yeah, Allie is round in the corner, running, you know, kind of, they're still, people are all still in their prom dresses here. Mm-hmm. Uh, be, you know, the leather liars are trailing behind Allie, so, you know, something's different from the last episode. Because Allie was, you know, captive now, captive then, and now she's with the liars, they're running down the hall. He, uh, they go up to the stairs of Radley, they come out on the roof, and they're looking around, Allie's panicked, and then she sees Black Hoodie is standing up on the ledge. Uh, right on the edge of the roof, like they might jump. Mm-hmm. And Allie screams, please don't do this. <laughs> and down below, a bunch of cars, uh, cop cars roll up, and sirens, you know, blaring. And Detective Barry fucking Maple gets out. Fuck yeah. Welcome back, Barry. It's mm-hmm. been too long. It, it, Barry only shows up for the big episodes now. Yeah. It's in his contract. Oh, yeah. And he's got the car, like car radio in his hand. Yeah, he's even in an unmarked car. He's really uh, moving on up in the world. I, I feel like people need to start their fan fiction about who his partner is in the car with him. Does he even need a partner? You think he's like a lone he works wolf? alone. He's like, I'm the only good cop in Rosewood. If he's you give me like, a partner, partner, he's just going to be some corrupt cop. He's like, look, I know that I've only been a detective for a few weeks, but my last partner died. I work alone now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and my own tango and my own cash. Barry says, we may have a visual of the suspect on the roof. Because from his perspective, we kind of see up, and there's A up there, standing, you know, black hoodie, right on the ledge, uh, has a mask on, so we can't see who it is. And then we go kind of back up top, back up to the top of the roof, and Allie is saying, I'll do whatever it takes to help you. She's pleading. Pleading, yeah. Spencer says, look, just because we know who you are doesn't mean the game is over. Interesting way to start here. The liars are very empathetic with A. We don't really know why. Mm. Down below, some of the cops start like cocking their guns and smooth motherfucking Barry Maple here is just like, whoa, hold your fire. We have civvies up there. I said stand down. 
Civvies. God, he's good. What if Barry is the commissioner after the time jump? I see no problem with that at all. That'd be awesome. Yeah. And uh, back up top, Emily says, don't do this to your sister. And Ari says, you spent your whole life trying to get back to your family. It's not too late. So now we know, well, this is actually Allie's relation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Hannah says, you've been such a bitch to us, but we heard your story. We understand. It's the back of A, yeah. yeah. A kind of holds her hands out to the side like they're about to jump, and the liars all scream and rush forward, and they scream, no! Mm-hmm. And that is credits time. All the way to start the episode. Just imagine, okay, so like it's like uh, in Dark Knight, where like the mayor's just like, Maple, you got the big job. You're commissioner now. And Barry's like, great. My first order of business, Kavanaugh, give me your fucking badge. I feel like you're like, everyone, give me your fucking badge. You're all all fired. Fucking bricks. Mm-hmm. About to be walking tall through this town. I mean, I don't know if Rosewood would really suffer if that were the case. I don't know. Can you just like fire everyone in a police station? <laughs> I don't understand why that hasn't happened in Ferguson yet. Just, <laughs> just hit the bricks, all of you. I think there's a fundamental lack of of self acknowledgement of maybe something's happening yeah. wrong there at an institutional level. But yeah. Uh, so this is our I'm Arlene King at written and directed episode. So there's gonna be some crazy action here. I think we well, noticed before that I'm Arlene Arlene King, likes the action. She likes the media ray. Yeah, she likes to just open up, and and then of course after the credits we get the expected title card earlier that night. Mm-hmm. And we're going on back. Oh, it should be mentioned too. I, I think we forgot to talk about this last time. We're gonna have a new credit sequence uh, after the time jump. Uh, so I think we were we were pondering that, and then didn't somebody confirm it? Uh, yeah, what, I think it might have been the uh, set decorator. Okay, yeah, I think it was him. Uh, William de Blasio, am I saying that right? Hopefully, hopefully not butchering anyone's name, but yeah, as a set decorator of PLL on Twitter, I believe he was the one who said they're going to have a new sequence, which I'm very fascinated by. I don't know what it will be. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're back at prom. There's another like quick little shot of people dancing. There's a, there's a couple like right in the middle of did, this overhead. Did you shot. see them? They're doing like weird, like slow motion thriller. Yes. Yes. There's yeah, some, there's some crazy fucking dancing here. I, I mean, mean just like, you pause. gotta figure they just they had cameras up there, and I mean they must have just done like, all right, we're gonna track the camera this way, dance some more, you know, like they just must have done this like 50 times or something for all these like wide shots. No matter what you thought of this episode, just take a moment, just just really just chew down on some of this dancing here. It's it's something. Um, I think this the is first line the money of the song, went. first line of the song playing here is "I won't let you down." Uh, this is Miss Mister, is it not? I don't... I know they're in this episode at the beginning. I'm not sure if this is the exact song, but they have a song called How Does It Feel in this episode. So, meanwhile, in the broken mirror clearing in the forest facade, the liars have gathered. Oh, that, that shot of Arya in reflection, where she literally, that mirror has two faces because the, the broken mirror is showing, like, her fractured face in it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's just, they're they're teasing us. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no way that's not totally intentional. It's like, yes, it has to be Arya in the reflection. <laughs> uh, so uh, the liars have gathered. Hannah's trying to call someone, but there's, you know, no answer, she says. And he's like, okay, try again. <laughs> Hannah tries again, nothing. Meanwhile, at the dealer rents place, we're in the living room. There's a telephone ring. We look at the image of the great leads of the basement again. We can hear the moms pounding on the door, yelling to open the door. Uh, we can hear, like, the answering machine. Oh, you reach the dealer rents home, blah, blah, blah. Um, so this is the question I have. Like, do those four actresses get paid for this episode? 
I, I've been wondering about that all week. I don't know. I mean, this is this is like just like recorded dialogue from the previous yeah. episode, well, right? Because I, 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 it could be. Because spoiler alert, uh, drunk moms. We don't really know what happens. They might still be in there five years later. Also, yeah, but I mean, like, if you film something for TV or movie, regardless if you end up on the cutting room floor, you do get paid. You get real paid. Yeah, I get. I don't know. That's the whole question of like, are they allowed to just like put you in multiple episodes or I don't know. I'm sure there's something in contract for yeah. should this appear in flashbacks later on. Uh, so back at prom, Hannah hangs up. She's like, nobody's home. And Emily's like, Ali could be on the roof. Did anybody check the roof? And Spencer's like, or Hannah sighs. And so she's like, guys, we promised Toby that we would stay here until we, he escorted us out, remember? So what we really yeah, need. Everybody got that? It's almost whenever, like Toblerone's actually in the episode. Had not been like handed, like have forced to hand over his badge. Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever Toby mention comes up, we have to have Sarah Harvey walk in. And she's mm-hmm. like, the guys are talking to Clark and Tanner. She has a lot of questions for all of us. So the liars are again, classically annoyed by the police doing their jobs. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, okay, well, how long do we have to stay here? We could be out looking for her. I like they just assume that like, well, the cops aren't going to find her. Those guys are worthless. I, when I was watching this, I flashed back briefly to this is a dark ride when it was like, the cops are going to ask us questions. And Spencer's like, when my mom gets here, Nobody will be talking to the cops at this crime scene. Cops aren't going to learn shit. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck police. Fuck due process. Um, so Arya's like, Em, look, we have to believe that Charles isn't going to hurt Allison. She's his sister. And Emily's like, Charles drove his house, his car through my house, Arya, okay? I believe he'll hurt anybody who gets in his way. And then, of course, we get that great shot of Arya looking into the broken mirrors. Um, mm-hmm. She actually catches a glimpse of a vision of red passing by her on the other side of the gazebo. Fed. Oh, and we can hear some some clinking. It's like somebody's walking over broken glass, maybe. Yeah, as we see somebody in red is like in the partition behind them walking by. Mm. So it's a, the beautiful place where your footsteps are knives and walking on broken glass. Uh, Arya's like, guys, we're not alone in here. So Ari takes Hannah's hand and they Very, basically do a circle looking around. They meet up with Spencer again. Spencer's well, it's like, like Arya takes her Tulpa's hand and then Spencer takes Emily's hand and they, they each go like a separate way around this partition and they kind of meet on the other side. Mm. So And there's like seemingly no other way out, you know, because they both converge, but there's no one there. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Sarah Harvey's just like skeeving in the background. She's itching for a shower. Yeah. And Spencer says, are you sure that you saw somebody? And Arya's like, yeah, I'm sure. And it says, hey, Arya, there's no way out of here. And there's like this loud clanking noise. And part of like this maze partition just like slides aside to reveal a hidden room in the middle of the Forbidden Forest here. Because this, there's a secret layer like inside a prom. The only thing that this this episode in total was missing was like maybe five more secret passageways. Mm-hmm. I mean, because there's, there's a good quota of secret passageways happening here. I, I think what this episode was missing was like another half hour. Um, it, it it reminded me of in general like the season three finale where there's some some good like character moments there's some good set pieces and unfortunately there's not enough time for all of it yeah it really felt like there's a lot of stuff in this episode that could have used a chance to breathe uh, I mean, we, we can get to it more as we go but i definitely felt like this was one of those things where like if they had more time maybe or i don't know if they just like pace it differently i think it would have made it work a little better yeah so uh yeah so there's this you know weird room just opened up so emily the brave one she's going to take the lead and investigate here and the others follow behind her and industrial hallway yeah it's just like this kind of like spare room there's like these 
walls of just insulation and chicken wire, chicken wire, and there's like a big fiber optic switch box, and then red coat. Or I'm sorry, red red cloak, as we've been calling her, <laughs> walks out it's and like a giant Baphomet mask or whatever. Yeah. Turns to face him, and Hannah grabs Ari's arm, and Spencer reaches back for Emily's arm. There's so much like theory potential in this episode. Mm. Uh, Shower's still here too. She's just like between them. Red Cloak takes off their mask, and of course it's Mona. Called it. I mean that that was an easy one. We'd seen like the like promo photos for the next for this episode where it was like Mona's in the the red cloak. So also, it's not like her hair is hidden in this this outfit under the mask. Yeah, I mean it's a brunette hair, you know. Yeah, not not something that you see a cop to a lot. Um, so Arya's like, God, Mona, you scared well, the crap all, out of us. They all kind of sign relief slash annoyance, but it's like Mona's the best. She makes everything better in such. Well, it's like it's like, but I feel like that sigh of relief that lays to bed any like potential that Mona's your villain. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like it was like this moment. I was like, there's no way Mona's red coat. She's not Black Widow or anything like that. She's Mona. Mona says, I've been following Allison since yesterday morning, because of course she has. Mm. She says, I lost her when you guys jumped the cop. <laughs> Way to go, liars. And Arya's like, you knew that Clark was a cop? And Mona says, Arya, maybe you thought he was always happy to see you, but I could never get past the bulge in his pants. LOL. Arya's like, uh, destroyed. Arya's like, great. Everyone just take a shit on Arya today. Mm-hmm. I could watch a whole episode of Mona just like telling the liars like how and why they're dumb. Yeah, yeah. She's um, like, Emily, who you're dating? Do I even need to start? Yeah. <laughs> we hear like a. About me? <laughs> no, shut up, Strauer. Uh okay. There's like a. <laughs> Sorry. I I cannot get enough of Shower Harvey. I'm all in. Oh, we love her. Yeah. Uh, we hear like a beep, and Mona pulls out like a little iPad Mini from somewhere and checks it. Spencer's like, "What is that?" And Mona's like, kind of swiping away, and she says, "I started snarfing Allison ever since she came back to town." Yesterday, she started getting texts from Charles. Couldn't get a lock on where he was, so I coded a program to decrypt the signal source. And I kind of see on the tablet, it says, like, you know, signal source locator, acquiring signal, you know, execute network override, you know, hacker shit. Mm-hmm. Spencer's like, what is it? And Mona's kind of speechless, just staring at the iPad. And Hannah says, Mona. And Mona says, it took a while, but... And Emily's like, okay, Mona, just finish the sentence, please. And the iPad beeps. Got a locked signal. There's like triangulation on the map on it. This has been a this has been an interesting half season for like actual maps of Rosewood. Definitely, yeah. Yeah. And uh, Spencer says, "What is it?" And Mona says, "Charles has his own southern network, and the servers are located at." And we see on screen, and Spencer reads it for us: the Karasimi Group. Oh shit! And it says, "I knew it." Reese is Charles. Emily's about to leave, and Ari's just like, "Em, where are you going?" And Emily says, "I'm going to get Allie." Sarah says, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm calling Tanner. Fine, but I'm not waiting around answering a million questions. So she takes off. Shower follows her, and Mona turns to Spencer, and she's like, let's go. So they all take off. Meanwhile. Meanwhile, uh, somewhere. I mean, can we just say where it is? I mean, it's Radley. It's a brick-lined yeah. hallway here, yeah. It's, it's Radley. I mean, it's all pretty obviously Radley. Uh, it looks like A is dragging Jason's body around his eyes are wide open he looks dead or stoned par for the course which is yeah, same of, amount of brain activity wide um, open eyes yeah yeah it's an interesting little little visual there doubting himself yeah I'll, we're not that lucky <laughs> and he's just funny. getting like dragged across the floor by a 
Conscious nightmare of doubt. Um, Allison, she wakes up in bed. She's still in her prom dress, still in her makeup, still looking glamour. She's been maybe like knocked out or drugged. She's waking up in a room, in a patient's room in Raleigh. Well, she's like in a, it's like a little twin bed, like maybe like a child's bed. Yeah, so she's she's looking around uh, right next to her are some De Laurentiis family photos on the wall where it looks like someone has cut out the picture of the little kid who played Charles at the apple farm and like taped his head onto members of De Laurentiis family. Well, it's on the alley. It's um, on the alley. I didn't even notice this in like my first couple of watch throughs. It was only when I was doing notes I noticed. But yeah, it's it's these pictures of Jessica De Laurentiis with young Allison. Only like somebody has like taped pictures of uh young charles on top of the face there i honestly when i first watched it i thought it was horrible uh uh photo yeah to give like the kid long hair yeah and, that was like, i was like wait what what's going on but yeah when you look closer you're like oh no it's just like they cut out the picture and put it on top so there's like a dollhouse in the desk like a stuffed bear on the end table there's uh some prison bar there's a prison bar door allison goes there she sees on the other side laying on the ground is her dad uh, staring straight up, lifeless, uh, like Jason, um, eyes open, and Allison starts freaking out, like, oh my god, dad? No, oh my god, dad? Um, I hope I'm not dead. Uh, <laughs> I hope yeah, I don't poop myself while I'm laying here. She's in, like, a, a recreation of a child's room at Radley, only it's inside, like, a, a barred cell, you know? She's, like, in, in a, like, a cell with bars on it, in, like, jail. Yeah. There's a lot of, like, uh, uh, interesting metaphorical rooms that represent well, one of the things. i think one of the strong metaphors that they actually i think really didn't do a good job of just like, of kind of hitting correctly is a has like a kind of a, an attachment to lost childhood and i think mm-hmm. there's a way you can read it as an attachment to something else that does not work very well kind of thematically well um, i think even if you get past what we'll ultimately learn about the character we've been told is Charles De Laurentiis. It's an interesting idea that here is a room that encompasses, encompasses metaphorically a character, especially a villain's soul. Mm-hmm. Aspects of that soul that you can interact with or just light on fire. Um, but I feel like the show just hasn't had the room to do enough with that. Yeah. Um, we should talk about that at the end. Just yeah. thoughts on like pacing of the season in general. But should we also mention in Alley Cell here, like next to those photos, there is like a little one of those little like kind of black bubbles, like a camera. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, she's being monitored in here. There's a couple of those in the room. Yeah. I'll just go ahead and say now. Uh, so meanwhile, at night outside the kerosene group offices, we see a van parked out in front. Some dudes in jumpsuits marked utility on the back are carrying off duffel bags. And Spencer's cars, you know, she pulls up across the street. She's watching them. Spencer's driving. Well, Hannah's riding shotgun. Got Detective Hannah, her partner in shotgun. Well, here. this is, I mean, we've all seen the finale of True Detective. This is True mm-hmm. Detective Season 3, taking over from not much that it preceded it. Hannah um, will wear a white dress. And Spencer will have a red flower. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And they will walk through the desert while people bark obscenities at them um so they see these dudes leveling up bags in the van so just like why aren't the cops here and hannah's like wait you don't think that's ali's chopped up body in those bags is it it's just like hannah <laughs> hannah's like what isn't that what we were all thinking we cut to the back of the van where aria and emily and the others are like no i really wanted mona to be like yes i wanted i wanted it to be like no and then no yes wait no what are we doing here again? Yeah, because Shower's here. She's she's along for the ride. Yeah, she's along for the ride. Uh, so Emily's like, what is in those bags? And she's like, why are they moving them in the middle of the night? So in the distance, we hear like well, a so siren. Who the hell are these guys and what are they up to? I, I feel like this is 
some sort of hint at like you know the next big bad plot line that we're moving towards well i had i had two theories but i think yeah i think it's a time jump thing honestly i mean it, th- this is definitely left hanging in the episode like this will never be mentioned again but like these dudes are loading something up from the Karasimi group and, and driving off into the night. So. I mean, I think I think it's not a shock to anyone. You know that the time jump is coming. Mm-hmm. Um, there are obviously at the end of this episode some overt ideas of where that's going to go. I think that Planet Throughout, there's a lot more subtle like things that we're going to pick up on, I think, especially mm-hmm. when you get to the timeline. So Arya's like, here comes the cavalry, which... Well, you can hear sirens in the distance, yeah. I always love, like, uh, Arya, like, remember from Shadowplay? Like, morning troops! I yeah, her, her colloquialisms are always great. Yeah. Um, Charge! Emily's like, let's go. So they, she leads the squad to roll out. They all climb out of the car. Emily, Hannah, Spencer, Sarah Harvey, Arya, Mona. Elias let themselves in the revolving doors. Because it's we, just unlocked in the middle of the night. Then we kind of dissolve to the hallway where Hannah and Spencer previously saw that keypad locked door. And the others are standing around watching Spencer try to crack up different combinations as Mona coaches her on. Well, Mona kind of like rubs her forehead like maybe she has a headache. Or like she's going to just pull the correct answer like a, like a tendril out of her yeah. brain. Yeah, like she's using the force right now. Um, um, it, it's really funny like in the scene to watch. First, you got to watch uh, Ashley Benson in the background. She's just like rolling her eyes, like looking around. It's just like pure Hannah, like just like, you know, don't have time for this bullshit. And then. Sarah Harvey in the background, she just looks so shady. Her eyes are all over the place, you know? Uh, well, you know, she just looks so, so like, like nervous constantly. Like at any moment, she'll end up back in the dollhouse. Yeah, yeah. But especially Ashley Benson. I mean, obviously, back in, was it season three, we coined Hannah Face? Oh, yeah. Talking about the, the sheer acting powerhouse that is her face at times. But really, like, we don't give enough, like, just credit to Ashley Benson's eyes and the amount of work and they, those convey. Um, and just the shade she can cast. I mean, yeah, her eyes are basically like Tom Hanks's hand and Save <laughs> Private Ryan. Um, well, I gotta say the the security on like this like high tech futuristic touchpad here a little bit poor. It's basically it's a four digit code and there's no limit. Like that's only like ten thousand variations. That's that's pretty shitty security. And they've gone through nine thousand nine hundred eighty eight of them so far. Yeah. Mona frustrated says. Try his birthday. And Arya's like, do you seriously think we can outsmart A? I always had a good giggle because Arya's skirt has pockets. Mm-hmm. And she keeps her hands on those pockets and she just looks so fucking chill. Arya's the fucking champ, man. Yeah, they're all still in their prom dresses. Of like, course. she's adorably chill throughout all this. So that combo doesn't work. Mona rubbing her frustrated head, trying to pull ideas out. She's like, uh, try Mrs. D's, 1218. Hannah's like, wait, you know Mrs. D's birthday? And Hannah, Mona says, I'm a self-taught identiker. Everything, so, everything Mona says in this episode is magical. It's, Everything it's just says, amazing. Like, I'm a self-taught identiker. Sure. Mona and Spencer are basically championing for why they should both have their own show, mm-hmm. let alone why they're amazing on this show of so many great characters. But Spencer takes umbrage of that. She's like, that's not a learned skill. It's a phenomenon. And Mona has these eyebrows just like in your fucking face, Spencer. Mona's just like, I'm sorry, do I need to remind you that I have superpowers? Uh, Who do just, you think you're talking to? Just you clearly case. have no idea who you're dealing with, Spencer. You think that of me? Uh, eidetic memory, in case you're wondering, is the ability to recall images, sounds, or objects in memory after brief exposure up to quite some time later without the use of mnemonics. Photographic memory. Basically, Basically. that's got an incomplete reference to yeah. it. Yeah. I think it, Spencer kind of has dabbled in that with, like, Dollhouse, like, putting together the name yeah. charts. Mm-hmm. Spencer um, has her own superpowers. So Sarah gives Emily this, like, concerned puppy dog look, and Emily's like, what is it? Sarah what says, is it, Shower? 
<laughs> Five days after he took me to the bunker, Charles gave me a red, white, and blue cupcake. But it wasn't 4th of July. I kept track every day I was there. And every year he gave me a cupcake on September 7th. So Spencer punches in 0907 into the keypad, and it's accepted. The door unlocks. And Mona just, like, smiles and looks back at Ariana Hannah and she's very satisfied. She's like, see, we are smarter than Charles. They should have had, like, lightning strikes somewhere at that point. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> so they head inside this, like, restricted door, and it's just another room. Sarah Harvey's lingering outside, and Ari's like, it's just a stupid room. Mm. Spencer says, yeah, but A's not stupid. So she's looking at this one wall. Like, one of the walls is kind of like this weird, like, wood-paneled wall. It's mm-hmm. definitely different from the other walls. It looks like something you'd see in a house in that like unhappy hipster's tumbler. Sure. Uh, and then like part of the wall it just like slides open. Uh, like a whole like the entire wall just like moves open on its own. It's a bridge to a conceptual spaceship. Yeah, it opens up to reveal the reverse flash's secret layer. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything inside is like white and from the future. Uh, the liars walk in. They're very cautious. There's all these kind of like rhythmic beeps and flashing it's, lights on the wall. It's like it's from the future, but it's also from like the 1970s version of the future in a way. It's exactly. Like, yeah. It feels like I'm like I'm watching like part of like that uh, the movie ver- the the full length like THX one one three eight. Yeah. There you directions. go. Um, yeah. So in, before them is a, like a giant tablet table. It's like a Microsoft Surface table. Yeah. Or uh, somebody I saw was like drawing. Um, the liars enter, and Hannah's like, did we just walk inside A's brain? And Spencer's like, yeah, Hannah, <laughs> I think we did. <laughs> I don't know what that laugh. She's super excited. Um, I got like, A's not a person or a role. It's an idea. It's something larger, something that can encompass many people, and you can fit inside its brain like being John Malkovich. Yeah. Arya says, I think he knows we're here, because she's looking up. There's another one of those little camera bubbles with a flashing light on it on one of the walls there. And Emily kind of looks back out of this, like, sliding hatch door they walked in. Sarah Harvey's still, she's all the way back out in the hallway still. Mm-hmm. And Emily's like, Sarah, you okay? Oh, sorry. I'm going to wait out here. It's a little tight in there. So sketchy. Mm-hmm. And then that panel door just closes on its own. And Emily's just like, Sarah! But too late. They're all trapped inside, like, A's brain layer now. But, I mean, you know... You had to know something was going on because of the way they frame her. She's far back. She's tiny. She's made small. She's judging. You know, it's, she looks suspicious as fuck. But also, if maybe you're in need of a shower, you don't want to get in a tight space of a bunch of other people. Hmm. Unless you're one of those guys who, like, you're proud that you, you dealt it in the, the elevator. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and then uh, the little computer table here, like, lights up like HAL 9000, this big, like, glowing red thing in the middle. Well, it's, like, it's pulsating. Yeah. Like, the thing it is. It is fancy as fuck. Is it charging up? Uh, like, geez. I gotta wonder. Like the set design here, was it just like, all right, we spent most of our budget like on guest stars and flashbacks, so like, at least let's make this like layer visual and interesting or something. Um, I, I would absolutely love to know the whole conversation on the production side of like this room well because the liars have barely anything to do in this episode they just like watch and react there's another reason why i think it would have been better to have a longer episode where they could do more in it this is literally an episode where the pretty little liars watch an episode of pretty little liars Mm -hmm. it's like live reaction yeah uh it's a lot of this is so fascinatingly meta like for people who, who do complain about this episode and think that it failed i think if that is true and i don't necessarily subscribe to that it fails in a way that is amazing to me um, well, I, yeah, think, so, I mean, because so much of what the liars are doing here is just like, 
Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. Wait, then, what is that? Like, just, you know. Wait, so-and-so is so-and-so? What? Yeah. I'm sure all the actors are like, shit, we got there, easy. There's parts of this episode that are indistinguishable except for production value and acting talent and writing from, like, YouTube reaction videos to the episode itself. <laughs> I mean, this is a room where they've gone inside, like, I don't know how many secret passageways. There's a bunch of giant red buttons. Like, it is so meta, it's, it's amazing. But yeah, this giant red button is just dying to be pushed as it pulsates and pulsates and pulsates um so they do it it's a bunch of like it explodes it's like a bunch of menus and things on the wall before him like a star trek hologram pops yeah up like a, a hologram like laser like tv projection shows up of like a video feed and there's all these like whizzing noises and whatnot mm -hmm. um, but in the like laser hologram here we see lucusa uh, borg sorry yeah we see a uh like a a young girl mannequin in a yellow dress and uh, it's it's obviously in Radley, and there's like a photo frame of Jessica De Laurentiis there. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at something in Radley here. And Emily says, what is that? And well, Hannah... Hannah's, yeah, Hannah is curious in a tactile sort of way. She like walks over and like puts her hand through the screen. Like, <laughs> like it like got refracts that? around her and like buzzes, and so she yanks it back. Yeah. I... I hope there's all kinds of weird, crazy holograms it is, against in the future. It is so dumb, and I love it. Yeah, it's uh, it's fantastic, and it gets used to such great ways. So, like Mona, she just she gets it. She's probably jealous as hell, mm -hmm. and her brain could probably not be any more turned on than it is right now. And she's like, "This is a live feed." So we see that. Well, I got to say, no no one's layer will ever top the original Mona layer. That was a work of art. This is this is pretty interesting. Well, it's it's high tech, sure, but the texture that Mona's craziness had in that layer with all like the stabbed out alley eyes and just everything in there that was that was a masterpiece. Of I set would decoration. say Mona's layer was like this like hyper journalized analog like crazy villain layer. This is like like this is like the Apple like Store from hell. Yeah, this is like the Apple Store like infernal dungeon of of knowledge um but there's even like buttons for different camera angles that you can choose like the liars can like edit <laughs> the episode that they're about to watch this is amazing i like how in the uh on like the little on-screen computer table there it has a keyboard and on the keyboard the space bar is labeled space bar as though you wouldn't know what that long button was at the bottom of the qwerty keyboard i wanted Mona to be like oh check it out guys i have other options besides just qwerty keyboard cool mm -hmm. <laughs> and she's like i'm switching to Dvorak. Uh, so Mona punches up camera four here, as you and are. yeah, we uh, the hologram video shifts to like kind of a close up shot of Allison looking out of those like bars in her cell there, and Emily very it's like helpfully. it's like from like down looking up a little bit. It's yeah. interesting. Very helpfully, Emily says it's Allison, <laughs> and Harry's like, "Where is she?" And then uh, we get another angle. It's from inside the room. Allie's like looking back in the room, and she's she's talking to someone. She says, "Why would you kill them?" And then Mona changes the angle again. Like and... over, over Allison's shoulder. Oh, yeah. Well, this is like one high up looking down through the bars, like behind Allie. And there is where we see Jason and Kenneth just like staring up dead eyed. And uh, Hannah's just like, oh, my God. And Harry says, oh, my God, it's Jason and Mr. D. I mean, seriously, there is like I, I want to say that like before they because when we talked to Larry Reedman, he talked about how they went back and they watched some of the older episodes to get mm -hmm. a feel for certain things that they were going to evoke. And, you know, obviously there's flashbacks. I want to say that, that I feel like maybe like invasion of the body snatchers was <laughs> like inserted into that <laughs> just to get a feel for some of the acting. Um, 
But they should just have like one like like a like a floating camera drone in this room because that's what some of the angles are basically. Yeah, we go back to the angle on Allie again, and Allie's saying we're family, and Spencer says, "Who is she talking to?" And then we switch to another angle, and they all gasp because Black Hoodie is right there in the cell with Mona, uh, standing over. Or I'm sorry, with Allison, uh, standing over, looking out the window. Chilling. Um, and it's hard to ignore that the posture here and the kind of the body is very feminine. And which um, was something we had said when watching the opening on the roof there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Emily says, oh, my God, Hallie's with Charles. And they're kind of all watching like, terror, fascination. So even, even Mona's holding her breath for the reveal here. Pause and just appreciate the moment. This like, is the moment. You could live inside this moment forever. If you don't appreciate this moment, you don't deserve the show. For all the people who are upset because you weren't getting enough answers in the summer of answers. Like, there's your answer. You have to build to this. Yeah. You can't just reveal who like A is every single episode. Think about that. Examine your life. Um, yeah, this is Are the you moment. done? Yeah, I am. Okay. I'm getting off my high horse, going back to podcasting. Yeah. So, you know, we get the, you know, Allie, uh, Emily, Hannah, Spencer, Aria, Mona, they're all just like waiting, waiting, waiting. And finally, the Black Hoodie turns around and it's like they really like, they drag it out as long as they can without feeling like it's dragged out. And we finally see the face. Tippy the bird. Yeah. It's Cece Drake. Yep. Uh, she's looking pale, maybe slightly haggard, and she's looking right into like the hologram camera here. And she says, don't be so dramatic, Allie. And Emily's like, Cece? And they all kind of like jump back in shock, like in their, in the A lair. And Cece says, they're not dead yet. Uh, and Liars are, and Mona are just all, they're stunned, they're horrified as Cece's like staring right at them through the camera here. And, and at us. And mm-hmm. Vanessa Ray is like looking at us with those intentionally, intensely gorgeous, villainous blue eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, can we just talk about how amazing Cece is? Well, I mean, you mean Vanessa Ray? Or Cece the character, because Vanessa Ray kills it in this episode. Both. Absolutely yeah. both. I mean, like, I say this again, as a guy who finally realized that he was in love with this show after the con game. Mm-hmm. That's right, you do love Cece. I forgot about that. That's right. Yeah. So you and I I, I know that like it's not like we had any firm theories leading into this episode, but you were you were on the Cece train, right? I was. Would that be correct? For 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 a lot of reasons, but like I felt like just using t- like TV math, mm-hmm. not even so much detective clues, because like as will be demonstrated, good luck with some of the PLL's timeline. Yeah. Good luck. I mean, <laughs> I, I'll like, be honest. I I was not on it for the reason that I didn't think they would go there for reasons we're going to get into in a few minutes. I just I didn't think they would do that. Um, I just thought it was off the table, which is why I wasn't I, in that direction. I have to say, shamefully, I never. I never discounted it because of those reasons. And I know I should have. I know I should have been concerned that they would go there. I, I had trust in the people who made the show, especially if this was their plan for three years. I assumed they had thought it all through. But we talked about this in the podcast before. You wanted a villain who could really give you a monologue, mm-hmm. who could really own that moment of being the villain and celebrating it, especially since... A has been a character who's had no voice, like no verbal voice the entire time. I mean, when, they, when they're in the dollhouse and they pull back the curtain and there's A behind the curtain, it's not like A has an evil monologue, even in the dollhouse, when seemingly yeah. like Charles De Laurentiis has won. And so like you knew that this episode was going to be dialogue heavy, and I wanted an actor who could, who could do that. And I just... I didn't think it was going to be Ren for a lot of reasons. You know, I didn't think it was going to be Drew Van Ack. Mostly because Ren hasn't been on the show for two seasons, and 
It's like the, he had like one episode, like 410, where it's like suddenly he was shady and then he disappeared. Yeah. Well, and, and even like the idea of Ren has has only sparsely made an appearance, really. Like a couple, mm-hmm. couple times, couple mentions at the end of like season five, but like Cece has yeah. been, been. I mean, I don't know what I was expecting because I, I had no feeling. Um, but I, I was just like, like, you know, I was talking last week about how I felt like there was like a simple answer that I just like wasn't seen, mm-hmm. you know, like with like awesome. the, how would, how could Mona be dead thing? And this was the simple answer. I just, yeah. I kind of discarded this theory as like, they weren't actually going to do that, but then they did. And it's like, suddenly it was like, well, I mean, we already talked about this whole idea of what they do in this episode. So it's kind of like we, you know, like once we knew who a was, it was like, all right, well, we know where this is going now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So. Uh, so after after the commercial, Allison, you know, she now needs to confront Cece. She has some vitriol there. She's like, how could you do this to me? I risked everything to help you. And Cece's like, you gave me a passport and a plane ticket. I'd hardly call that everything. And Allison's like, it was all that I had. It's ungrateful much? Cece comes over and she's like, if you keep making this about you, Allie, it's going to be a long night and we don't have much time. This is why I love Vanessa Ray. She can sell well, these things. Speaking of Vanessa Ray, they very cleverly delayed showing the kind of guest starring credits until now mm. so that, you know, they didn't spoil it for you at the beginning, you know, after the, the first credit sequence. Right. They right. wait till now to tell you that Vanessa Ray is in the episode because obviously that was going to give it away. And I mean, I, I knew she was probably in this episode and I was I was kind of figuring like maybe she just swoops in and saves the day or I don't know. Or I I figured if she wasn't A, she'd be wearing a red cloak and she'd pop up yeah. at prom and be like, hi, Allie, I got you like another like baby French hooker <laughs> like <laughs> perfume. Um, yeah. So Arya watching this, she has to take off her little her little bow. So, you know, it's getting serious. This is like yeah, the roll not the Snow sleeves. White anymore. So this is the roll up the sleeves moment here. And Arya says, what is she planning? And Cece turns and looks right at the camera and right at the liars. And then she sings. Which I'm not going to attempt, uh, but she has a nice voice. Uh, she says, Lord, help the mister who comes between me and my sister. Irving Berlin song. She sings it out of like just one side of her mouth with this, the kind of weirdest, like unhinged expression on her face. It's very understated, but very off putting at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, 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 she's not going over the top at all, but there is definitely something unsettling. Yeah. Um, I think she does a really good job. She's kind of has these like smug smiles. She keeps putting on. She turns away, and Allie's like kind of. She Allie notices the camera bubble next to her, so she kind of gets that they have an oh, audience she, now. She's like, "Who the fuck are you singing to?" <laughs> yeah. And so Cece goes over to a dresser that it has that painting that uh, A got previously of you know young Charles and or Freddie, we should say, and, and Jason and. Alley from a few episodes ago that painting's there and Cece's looking at it mm. and Spencer says does she think we came between her and Alley? is that what this has all been about then Mona's like hmm that hits close to home yeah Hannah says wait so Cece is Charles and Emily says she is a she right and even Mona's a little confused and Ari's like wait shouldn't the cops be here by now and Mona says they're not coming how do you think Cece escaped police custody Sarah called Tanner directly right and Emily says wait Wait, you think Tanner is working for Cece? And Mona says, yeah, I'll bet she told Sarah that we're all just fine. Intriguing. One last red herring? Or is Tanner actually a red coat? This, this is one that really hurt me. This was, I mean, this was like, it was like, hmm, could this, they? Because that was, would be a twist. That'd be a hell of a twist. It's not one I'd see coming, but you know, Hannah says, 
Tanner doesn't wear nice shoes, which I had to think back to that like Parkside mm. chat they had about. Well, the I think Russian that definitely narrows it down now, where you're like, all right, it's either Tanner or Shower. It's like one of the two, right? Well, I think there's a couple other people you thought it could be still, but like Tanner was the one where I was like, no, I don't want it to be Tanner. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so Arya says, guys, quiet. And they look back on the like hologram video where Cece's still looking at the painting, and she says, they never understood how much I loved you. From the moment mom brought you home, I never left her side. You were like my very own living doll. And then we're going to get a flashback. But before we get a flashback, so, you know, this is this is the big plot twist, the big elephant in the room here. Uh, and it's kind of up until this point, I wasn't sure if they were going to say that Cece was actually Charles or is that Cece had somehow like assumed Charles's identity. But with that line, it you know, becomes clear now that, like, no, they are the, the same person. Mm-hmm. So, we're, you know, CC is transgender. Um, so, God, what to say about this? I was kind of, like, dreading that they were going to go this way because, you know, I don't, I don't even know what to say. I mean, you know, this is, well, we're a couple of cishet bros here. Like, our opinions are not really essential on this, but we kind of have to talk about it and um, I don't know. I mean, these are just our personal opinions. So, you know, I think everyone's going to have their own take and it's okay to disagree. Well, I mean, you're, you're worried about them going there because you're worried about how it'll be handled. Mm-hmm. You're worried how it'll affect people. Um, you're I, worried if it's necessary. I, mean, I think my, my kind of personal reaction is kind of split in two. Uh, there's like the meta reaction and then there's kind of like the personal reaction. Okay. You know, um, the meta reaction, it's like, you know, what you're thinking, what are people going to think about this storyline? You know, like, how are we going to talk about this? Is this going to offend people? Because uh, we we talked about this plot line back in 525. I mean, pretty much predicted it, you know, at the time. I mean, not not solely our ideas. This is working off, you know, stuff we'd read where this idea that CC was Charles and, you know, how it would go down. And we got a lot of pushback. People were like, no, I don't want to see that. So we were kind of aware back then that, like, it wouldn't be a super popular idea. Right. Um, and that's kind of, like, why I went elsewhere with my theories. I was like, well, it d- doesn't sound like they're going to do that. But, again, also the the idea that you had faith in the people making the show. Mm-hmm. You didn't think that they would do something that could be inflammatory. Yeah. And then they went there, and it's like, well, shit. Uh, you know, how are people going to react to this? How are we going to talk about this without looking like a bunch of assholes? Um, Heather Hogan wrote a really good recap of this episode with a really good, I think it's on the second page, she goes into a lot of the issues that come up with this storyline. Um, definitely, she's going to say things a lot more intelligently than we could on this subject, so you should go read what she wrote, because she's, you know, interviewing and kind of relating ideas from actual transgender people, which is a lot more valuable than what we have to say. Mm. Um, I, some of the stuff she brings up, especially like a lot, there's a lot of instances on the show of, for instance, calling, calling a shim or, or Hermie, uh, you know, in Lucas's case or saying he, she, it, bitch. Right. Uh, that kind of labeling, like now that you know that A is transgender, if you go back and watch that, I feel like it's going to feel kind of gross, you know, like it's, especially if they were building up to this, it's, it is kind of tone deaf and tacky. But I feel like it also fits into the 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 worldview that shaped this character. It does, but I don't know how much of that you can really get away with, you know? Uh, you know, it's like, oh, it's realism, but it's like, yeah, but it, I don't know. Um, and I mean, I think so that we're going to learn about this character, CC slash Charles slash Charlotte, 
um, portrayed very like extremely sympathetically, mm-hmm. but still the villain. Um, I really kind of wish they could have found a way to like do a version of this where most of the stuff is the same, but Cece wasn't actually the villain that she was actually protecting the girls. Like, like that would be, and I, I think if, if I was going to give like a narrative criticism here, it's that see, they, they do such, they, they're trying so hard to make Charlotte come off as very tragic, very sympathetic that it didn't totally connect with me that she was also a. You know, there's there's this idea of A who's doing all this insane torture to liars, and then there's this very kind of sad story about Charlotte, and my brain wasn't really tying the two together. Well, in a, in a lot of ways, the narrative anticipates that, because Allison actually has a very on-the-point line about it. Yeah. Um, how you're going to be reconciling a lot of things. So, I mean, that's the meta reaction, just like kind of personal, like just, you know, me not thinking about, you know other viewers but just myself like how did how did this affect me i mean i would say i felt a ton of empathy for charlotte you know empathy for a i was not really expecting to um but i mean i'd say you know there's definitely troubling aspects of the storyline but personally i felt really empathetic probably the most empathetic i've ever felt towards a transgender character in any fiction i've consumed well i've yeah and i've seen i've seen enough like there's like there's a dario argento horror movie that is the horrible stereotype of the, just the evil trans character, which this is not what, what they're doing here at all. I don't think um, my personal opinion, my personal relationship with this episode is I, I enjoyed the episode. I never, I, I, I never looked at, at CC as, as something wrong or horrible. I thought that they did a good job of, of sharing her side of, of this particular story and talking about who she is and how it fit into what shaped her. Um, and Jacob Lipton has a great thing where he talks about how the end of a story kind of gives you an idea without even talking about it, of the place of the villain in it. And, and hmm. you know, if a villain dies or pun- is punished, then the villain was obviously bad. If hmm. the villain is redeemed in any way, then obviously they were not totally a bad person. They're just dark forces in the world or what have you. And I think you can make that argument here, even just with what we've seen in Media Ray. I know we're, we're trying to follow our usual rules where we don't talk about the end of the episode yet. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I, for me personally, I think they did a great job of like making me really feel for this character and his situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and cause I, you know, I, I, it's not like I was unaware of kind of like at an academic level, like, you know, there's a lot of like really awful statistics about like suicide and depression mm-hmm. among transgender community, violence against transgender people. So it's, you can know that, but I think fiction has this power to kind of take that and put it into a story that like actually resonates as more than just numbers. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, it's not all magazine covers and reality TV shows. Um, well, and like, like Norbeck says, you know, it's okay to be upset with this. It's also okay to start a dialogue about why you're upset with this. Um, I think Heather, uh, retweeted something about how we're only eight months into the year and there's been more violence against trans people than there was all of last year. And that's, mm. that's, I mean, it's horrible, but it's, it's, I like that people are talking about some of these issues now. I mean, it's, it's that's a weird, definitely opening the dialogue. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird place to have that dialogue come out of, but. Well, I mean, I, I can say that, you know, like I said, this is the most empathetic I've ever felt towards like a, a fictional transgender character. A lot of that is due to the fact that most of the fiction I consume just doesn't have any transgender characters in it. So, um, you know, do with that what you will. I think the show tried really hard uh, to to handle Charlotte's story like as delicately and as like compassionate as it could. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like most of the people who watch this episode are going to feel like 
Charlotte is transgender. She's also kind of nuts, but those two aren't related. I mean, that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. Um, I've seen opinions all over the map on that. Some people were like, I absolutely see it that way. Some people are like, no, they're totally, you know, it's like a transphobic stereotype. So lots of different opinions on that. Um, but I, I definitely think the show had its heart in the right place. And you can argue about whether or not that was a place to go, but I don't know. I, I don't think anyone making the show intended for this to be hurtful, even though it definitely seems like it was to some people. And I really appreciate it because people have tweeted at us in particular to talk about their problems with the storyline. And I've enjoyed hearing that. I, I enjoy hearing more. Um, I mean, it's, it, it, never mind that this is a very serious, you know, like issue that, that affects a lot of people. And it's not an issue that's been talked about too much before this last year or so. Really, though, I mean, you and I have been at least lucky enough to know of somebody who was trans who went through a similar transformation uh, mm -hmm. 10 years ago now. It was a while ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but. I mean, I guess I, I've seen a lot of stuff and it, it's it kind of minorly annoys like a lot of stuff where it's like, well, sure, I know that the show isn't saying that transgender people are evil. But what will the, the tweens think? You know, what will the, the teenagers in the audience think? I feel like you kind of have to trust your, your viewers a little bit on this. Mm. Um, I mean, it's it well, reminds me a little of the Baker I and mean, very different, very different, obviously. But it reminds me a little bit of the episode where Baker Brozak hits on Hannah. That episode upset people a lot too, but to me, it, like it couldn't be clearer that the show was kind of on Hannah's side there. And in this, I feel like it couldn't be clearer that the show wants you to empathize with Charlotte. Right. Uh, so hopefully, people will view it in that manner and not just think like, "Oh, well, I always, you know, trans people must be evil," because that, you know, you know. Well, I don't think you should shy away from something because the teens won't get it. I think you should. Well, I think you, do, should trust. you should do the daring right thing and hope that your audience will catch up. I have a little bit of trust in teenagers. I mean, yeah. I, I know who I was a teen, as a teenager, and there was a ton I did not know. But mm -hmm. I do know that it drove me nuts when people just assumed that I was like some idiot, impressionable person. And maybe I was to some extent, but like, it's like, at least allow me to make a decision for myself, you know? Right. Uh, one more note. Um, as we move on here, people, I've been seeing this a lot. They keep bringing up this idea that on our podcast, that Brian M. Holdman said that they weren't going to do a transgender storyline. Uh, he did not say this. Uh, if you've listened to the interview, you'd know this, of course. Um, I remember after we posted this podcast, I started seeing like all these like kind of like, like Tumblr mentions and like Reddit mentions like, oh yeah, like Holdman said they ruled out transgender storylines. I tried to correct them as best I could, but, you know, that was a meme I could not stop from taking root. Uh, here's what he actually said. And I'm an avid reader of the books. I have read uh, every single one. And, and I mm. every once in a while will pitch moments from the books uh, as jumping off points for a story of our own mm. just to just to keep it, you know, keep it fresh. Um, but I think it's often uh, I will pitch things from the book that are a little too strawberry patch for the Rosewood that we've created in the show and the ways in which we have diverted from the books. Mm. So that's kind of, yeah, I, I, that's, that's where what's strawberry for me is, is those things from the books that are great on the page, but don't at all work in the TV version of Rosewood. <laughs> if I were to count out specifics, I would say Emily's ding dong ditching her baby. I don't know <laughs> if you guys have read the books at all, but there is a, there is a major plot point around Emily, a secretly having a baby over uh summer vacation and then ding dong ditching it. Wow. And then the books, um, 
Arya discovers that Noel's, Noel Khan's dad is a crossdresser. No. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I knew about the baby. I didn't know that she doorbell ditched it. Okay, so I think it's clear that that was not him saying they're never going to do transgender storylines. Uh, it's, you know, keep that in mind when you're raging about the li- writers who are lying to you. Um, maybe not in this particular instance. Mm-hmm. All right. So, yeah, let's get back to the episode. I think, I mean, I think ultimately my feeling is ambivalence. There's, there's some pluses and some minuses. I think it's okay to both be, tr- be troubled by aspects of the storyline and also feel that there is value in it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and, and not just because this was the culmination of like three years, really six years of a storyline, like so many aspects of this story, like have stuck with me in a ways that Pila doesn't even, you know, days later, mm-hmm. still thinking about what I think about it, how it, how it affects me, what I, you know, it, it's, I think it's, it's a, it's a pretty bold, daring move on their part. And I, I like that I, Marlene King, you know, I mean, I can only imagine the concern that she's had for this episode to air waiting for this to finally come. But like, she's, you know, stressed that it's really about the why it's not necessarily about the who. And I think that's definitely evident. Yeah. So we're going to go into a flashback here. We are in a child's room and, uh, you know, I'm just going to call this character Charlotte from now on. Um, Charlotte is still appearing as a boy here, but it's, you know, young Charlotte. Uh, this is the, the young, young version, not like the, the Freddy version that we've seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're in a nursery, like playroom type area. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming this is probably Allison's room. Maybe it is Charlotte's room though. There's, there's a dollhouse here. There's pink walls. There's lots of little like toys and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charlotte's having herself a little tea party with some dolls. We did say this is the, this is the boy who played the, the boy the, in the Apple Farm pictures, right? Yeah, the young, young version. There, I mean, yeah. there's kind of like two, two, two young actors. Like, there's a, the really young one and the one who played the the Freddy. Yeah, there's version. Charles and there's mm-hmm. the Freddy actors. Yeah, um, but like since they filmed, like, uh, Welcome to the Dollhouse, he's, his hair has grown a little bit longer. Anyways, we hear Baby Allison crying. Um, uh, you know, we hear CC because remember, uh, CC had said before we started our tangent, like, uh, they never said how much I loved you from the moment Mom brought you home. I never left your side. You were like my own living doll. Um, and when my dolly was sad, it made me sad too. So the baby's crying and, and young Charlotte comes over to her crib, to Allison's crib. And there's like a sheriff star pinned to Charlotte's shirt. And she says, it's okay, Allie. I'll go get mommy. Shh, shh. You know, and it's a little kid. Even as a window. baby, uh, young Allison is wearing yellow here. I like that. That's just like her color. That's her power color. Yeah. Charlie goes to the window, uh, starts to knock, and we see uh, he's upstairs. Downstairs uh, in the flashback, it's bright, it's washed out. It's like a youthful horror scene. Uh, Charlotte's like, Mommy, Mommy. Um, to the window, we can see uh, what Charlotte sees, which is Mrs. D's downstairs in the yard playing with young Jason. Even as a youth, Jason looks like he's just not getting it. Yeah, he's got like a dump truck next to him that's like tipped over, and he's like playing with dirt or something. And oh, that, Jason, are you doubting yourself even now? I was like, this is, this is pre-doubt Jason. <laughs> I know people get mad that we dump on Jason so much, but I just can't help it. Do you really think we dump on Jason more than, say, uh, yes. like Toby? <laughs> I have a lot of love for Toby. He as, gave us as, Toby voice. How can I hate Toby? I. I mean, you can hear Jason gave us no uh, particularly distinctful voice. <laughs> Uh, it's just but, it's just a bastardized version of like Caleb voice. Yeah. So we see uh, 
Mrs. D finally turns away from Jason, and it looks like she might look upstairs to where her children need her, but instead some neighbor comes along, ruins their lives. So I mean, basically, yeah, this is, I mean, they're in like Georgia, right? Would that be correct? Uh, is this where they moved back to Atlanta? I don't know. I, I don't think they've moved back to Rosewood yet. I don't know. Doesn't matter. Well, so, so obviously Peter got in there. No, Charles is before Peter did his thing. But I mean, this We're is already debating. J- Jason's debate. already like four or five years old here, so you that's, know, that's uh, I, it does it doesn't fucking matter at all. Anyway, Charlotte's banging on the window up there, saying "Mommy, mommy," uh, and yeah, we see Jessica downstairs or down on the lawn. The neighbor distracts her, so Charlotte kind of figures, well, she'll have to take care of this herself. So she comes over to Allie and she says, "You know what makes me feel better." And so she goes to run a bath, even though she's clearly too young to really know how. Um, I what mean, this shot is like an eighties horror. It's like a, I'm watching like Alice, Sweet Alice here. Yeah, I mean, just personal fun fact here. As a kid, I used to always try to get my mom to run baths for me because I was so bad at getting getting the temperature right. So I can definitely see how young Charlotte here would not be good at like really getting that temperature correct. Yeah. Um, so the bath is running and you kind of get these close-ups on the faucet. Jessica's still talking to the neighbor. So Charlotte says, come on, baby. I will help you. Shh, Allie, it's okay. Uh, picks up Allie and just plops her right. Baby Allie, you know, plops her right in the bathtub there. And there's this kind of like scary shot from like Allie's POV as we go under the water in the bathtub, like looking up at Charlotte here. Well, everything... Yeah, so everything, but the way this shot is fascinating because you get the establishing shot of the bathroom with the tub in the foreground. You see the water coming out of the faucet. It's very, it's very horror movie exaggerated, I think. Yeah, well, and Allie's cries at this point turn into like gurgles because she goes underwater. Uh, and outside, Jessica's totally oblivious. Um, we're just kind of looking up and it's like, yikes, Allie's drowning right now. Mm-hmm. And Charlotte kind of looks like she's not really sure what the fuck to do. And then, uh, you kind of a young, dark-haired Kenneth De Laurentiis appears in the, the POV here from in, in the tub and he rushes in. He picks up Allie. I hope my her. hair doesn't go gray. I hope you think I look like I'm 30. <laughs> I, like, did they dye his arm hair too? He's like beastly here, like Robin Williams' arms. Oh yeah, it's a hirsute man. He's got his wedding ring on too. Mm-hmm. He's like, what is wrong with you, uh, Charlotte? Like, he's totally horrified. Charlotte just says nothing. Um, we'd get these kind of close ups on Charlotte's face. I'm not sure if they were, if they wanted us to think that Charlotte was sinister here or not. Or, like, I'm not sure if they're going for innocence or sinisterness. I guess it's like, how do you feel about kids kind of a, a, a well, perspective. I took that there's probably layers there because, as we'll learn, this is not the first time that Mr. D has found or has had the happy accident of here's another reason why I can hate on you know, my kid. Perhaps, um, yeah. And so it's like, while Charlotte probably aches for her father's love, she also knows that this is the guy who's going to come in and yell at her. Charlotte knew at a very young age that her father was a fucking douchebag. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so then we basically just, like, cut to young Ken and, and young Jessica. They're at Radley here. Uh, they're in a in a room. Charlotte's in the background, and PJ's holding a little teddy bear. Mm-hmm. looking very innocent and kind of confused and jessica kind of she just exchanges a look with ken like she's not too happy about this and then she goes over to talk to charlotte one last time i wanted ken to have like a glass of scotch in hand yeah or you know piss <laughs> we would just talk again about how much we love jimmy Beale. 
Absolutely. But seriously, outraged Mr. D, like his face is just making a big puckered asshole. Mm-hmm. Jessica says to her daughter, she says, I love you, Charlie. And I always will. And he says, I love you more, Mommy. Uh, and Jessica, she leaves with Ken. She's, you can tell she kind of feels awful here. Mm. And Ken says, this wasn't the first time, Jess. You're doing the right thing. This wasn't the first time, Jess. We're doing the right thing. We can't risk harming Jason or the baby. And so they walk off and little Charlotte's watching them go, not really understanding. Like, you can tell it's like this, this doesn't make a ton of sense to Charlotte here. It's just right. kind of like, well, there go my parents. Um, so back to present day. Oh, I wanted to find the, the, the caption that Heather Evan had. Okay, bye. Have fun and out of town. <laughs> Definitely. So CC... but ultimately you could say that Mr. D is the villain of the story. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 100%. I mean, a lot of people have talked about, like, it comes back to a lot of PLL's themes about the way men will control women, control society, control what women are supposed to think, what they're supposed to fear, control their bodies, especially, and who they are underneath that. Um, but yeah, so we're back in this room in Radley. Uh, Cece's saying, I never meant to hurt you, but that's all dad needed to get rid of me. And Allison's like, but it was an accident. He had to have known that. And Cece says, oh, I'm sure he did. And Allison says, I don't understand. And so Cece needs to break it down for her sister and the audience here that for as long as I can remember, I asked mom to buy me dresses, but he wouldn't let her. So I just played dress up in her closet. She thought it was cute, but dad found out. And then Cece kind of moves and kneels down, like looking at Jason and Kenneth. They're like laying there on the other side of the bar. She watched them and she's like, they can hear us. They just can't move. And she's like looking right at Kenneth. And she says, you never visited me. Not even once. What a dick. Yeah, Cece turns back to Allison. Thank God neither of us inherited the bastard's beady eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Vanessa Ray, she's she's killing it. Like, I mean, both the the drama of of Charlotte here, but also just like her like weird kind of pathos. I mean, she's she's kind of having to play like two different kind of you know emotions at once here. Yeah, a lot of time she can uh, be snarky and light and hurt and cruel and just a mm-hmm. little bit like gleefully off her rocker. And she's a lot of like really off putting smiles that are like it's they're creepy because they're so casual. It's like by not being creepy in a creepy situation, she is creepy. Right, right. Well, it's it's like there's a humor that she can appreciate about how fucked up parts of her life have been. And it's like you can feel, I think, the weight of years Mm-hmm. hurt uh, but she's well, you have to imagine like she's probably never been able to talk to anyone about this before exactly, so exactly yeah she can be villainous but you make she makes you love her at the same time it's mm-hmm. you know more so than just the writing it's definitely the acting um but also i believe they said that vanessa Ray was planning her wedding and getting married while filming yeah. this <laughs> uh, which i really wondered about because i know on social media it was a big deal when vanessa Ray was getting married and a lot of people were like how does this affect her coming back to PLL? Because we all know she's coming back to PLL, right? Well, I mean, I, I imagine it wasn't easy to do this story when your main actor's on another TV show. I think, you know, and just scheduling thing. wise. Well, thankfully, because of uh, uh, like, I think it was that show Blue Bloods, it was Blue Bloods, where like they filmed a more conventional mm-hmm. uh, schedule for a TV so she show. She was off. Yeah. yeah so A's brain room. Uh, Mona is watching with horror and she says that's what Cece did to me my brain kept telling me to scream but my my body couldn't move Jason and Mr. D are living a nightmare they can't wake up from so there you go there you have Mona in the trunk 
Well, yeah, that's that explains Mona. If you hadn't gotten it already, which I feel like, like it was pretty obvious, like Mona was drugged. What what do you think? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so some kind well, of special I mean, drug. To be fair, I mean, when we watched that episode ourselves, we thought Mona was dead. We but, did, but as soon as we realized Mona was alive, it was like, okay, so she's obviously like drugged or something. Yeah. Like it's it's. I don't know. Some of like the answers people didn't get in this episode, I feel like use your imagination and infer it. It's, you know, like I, I think some of the answers people want aren't really that interesting. It's kind of like it's what you think, basically. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and you know, yes, some of the timeline issues we'll find out don't quite gel. They don't quite work out. But you're also dealing with not necessarily unreliable narrators, but as they've said, interpretive memory. But also, again, how long did the month of November take on PLL? Just <laughs> by just by it, having a lack ride. of continuity, the show actually adhered to its own continuity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, think about that. Uh, so yeah, Mona saying, "You know, that's what Cece did to me." My brain t- kept telling me to scream, but my body couldn't move. Jason, Mister D, the living nightmare that can't wake up from. Spencer says, "Oh my God, Jason!" And Arya says, "I feel sorry for Jason, but I don't think I could ever feel bad for Mister D." And then Emily and Hannah in the audience are all same. Yeah. So they keep watching the Radley feed here. So, and- so what's really changed for Jason here, though? Nothing. <laughs> He's maybe doubting himself a little bit less. He's laying there and he's like, did Cece forget that she never actually gave me the drug? Yeah. I'm just laying here. <laughs> I guess I'll just keep laying here. It'd be really awkward if I started moving. <laughs> so Charlotte says, mom came to visit me as often as she could. Aunt Carol came a couple times. Oh, man. The Aunt Carol theories just put those in the trash can. <laughs> uh, and she says, but for the next seven years at Rally, I was almost completely alone. Allie's like, that must have been awful. And Charlotte's just like, you think? Like, just this smirk, like, yeah, no shit. Uh, <laughs> she walks over to the little child mannequin in the yellow dress, and she says, when I turned 12, Mom bought me this beautiful yellow dress for Christmas. And after that, every time she would buy you clothes, she would buy me the same outfit. Uh, so that Christmas episode wasn't totally a dream. Right. That explains the two dresses. Does this mean Allie's going to lose her legs? Mm-hmm. I that the the Christmas episode the the not just the flashback but the, the orgy dreams, the dreams yeah the well, the orgy will haunt us all that's really the thing we should be talking about on the internet no, very the, uh, ho 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 babe <laughs> um the 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 peak the literal peak into Allison's like psyche is still fascinating to me especially considering like we just. I feel like we really don't know a lot about Allison and how she views the world. So much of the mm-hmm. show is other people's interpretation of Allison. Even Cece, to a certain extent, is telling the story of how she's always perceived Allison and tried to interact with that perception. Um, so it's like not just like the way Allison potentially viewed Mona through a filter of guilt and Tina Turner and Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. But also that very dark church scene of Mrs. D as Black mm-hmm. Widow. Yeah. Yeah, so we get a nice shot of Charlotte coming over and she's kind of like grinning at this little like child mannequin here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the kind of PLL mystery theme starts playing all of a sudden when that kicks in. And Charlotte's saying, almost like we were twins. And she's smiling and flashback. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's night. The flashback Char- everyone's been waiting for. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, the unintentional comedy is high a little bit later on in the scene. Uh, so Charlotte's older now. This is the actor who played Freddy mm-hmm. uh, in that film strip that Alan and Jason saw a few episodes ago. Uh, hair's a little bit longer, definitely styled more feminine now. And Charlotte has like a scarf on and she's put around yeah. her neck. She's smiling. This kid is great, I think. Yeah, yeah. This this actor is great. I mean, especially you know, the first time you saw this actor, didn't really have a lot to do. Right, it's like, um, like a birthday party. Yeah, but yeah, definitely great job here. And Abandoned uh, Chuck E. Cheese. Got the scarf on, she's smiling, and there's another blonde girl here. And this, this other blonde says, you're beautiful. And Charlotte kind of spins around, and we see she's wearing a white dress. And uh, this other girl says, absolutely stunning. And Charlotte says, thanks, Bethany. Oh, shit. It's Bethany Young. So we do see Bethany Young. Bethany Young is younger, obviously. I, I mean, they look, I mean, if, if you had to guess, like, what age are these actors, what would you say? I have no perception for a case in the age 10? of children. I, yeah, I have no idea. I, I feel like one of those people who, who, people who, like, look at people's faces and, like, they can't read emotion or uh, mm-hmm. emotional face states blind. at all. Yeah, face blind. Well, face blind is something different. Yeah, sure. But, uh, uh, like, it comes with, like, I can maybe guess if you're a teenager, anything before that, I have no clue. Mm-hmm. You're just, you could be like a, like a wayward midget for all I know. Yeah, um, so this is Bethany Young. Um, obviously, there are going to be some timeline issues that we're going to get into in a bit. Um, but yeah, yeah the, they're the younger. To, I think PLO Sherlock did the math that if you go back to the scene where uh, Toby and Allison almost kiss, like Allison mm-hmm. would be four in that scene, and it's like, well, yeah, your mom's yeah. lazy. <laughs> that never stops making me laugh. Hey. Don't touch my model cars. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's that's still that's when I love Toby. So uh, Charlotte thanks Bethany here, and she sits down next to her on the ledge, and we see that it looks like they're up on the rooftop at Radley. And Charlotte they, says, yeah, "They look down. They look down. Just so you know how far down the ground is. That's drop. Yeah, six yeah. stories or so." And Charlotte says, "Wish we could find a way out of here." Bethany says, leaving's easy, Charles. It's staying gone that would be tough. That's heavy. Yeah. Remember that later for another potential plot hole. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charlotte says, my mom always says that nothing's more believable than a really good lie. Love that. Uh, we just need to come up with a great story, something fabulous and devastating at the same time. Mm-hmm. And Bethany says, like we got lost in the woods and we were raised by a pack of wolves. And Charlotte's like, amateur. Does it look like I could survive in the woods? Bethany says, you're too pretty for that. And Charlotte says, her parents were crackheads. They sold us for a fix. And then she really kind of like adopts like the, you know, the emotional persona here. She starts to kind of sulk and cry. And she says, please don't make me talk about it anymore. It's too painful. And Bethany's like, wow, you're good. I think uh, uh, emotional persona is a good way to word it, considering that will come up later in the episode. Um, yeah. The door opens and we see that. Well, it- considering that what Charlotte slash Cece might be doing through this whole episode. Right, think about, right. Think about I mean, that as well. Yeah, I'm also thinking of another character who survived mm-hmm. trauma. Um, door opens and out comes. Oh shit! Toby's mom, Marion oh, yeah. fucking Kavanaugh. Oh yeah, the, this plot is going down. Yeah, the the coming out for a smoke on the roof and Charles is. So d- did you actually see a cigarette or did we all just assume she's out here to smoke? Because that's it what I like thought a, too. It looks like a cigarette, right? Or she's reaching into her pocket. Maybe there's like a cigarette there, in another shot or is something. There's something in her hand at some point. Yeah. So so Charlotte says. Uh, 
oh, it's that t- goody two-shoes, Mrs. Cavanaugh. She can't see me like this. You have to help me. And Bethany's like, of course. So Which, are, are we to assume that, like, Marion Cavanaugh is, like, transphobic? Is that the goody two-shoes comment? Uh, okay, yeah, she does have cigarettes in her hand, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if you could infer transphobic, but I feel like it's well, like a, like she can't see me too. in this dress, you know. Right. Like yeah. I don't know. Maybe she's just like a narc, and she's like, "You're not supposed to be up here" or something. Plus, we don't know how much Charlotte is having to negotiate the the mores of the mental hospital now. Maybe like, I mean, maybe there's some sort of separation between like the boys and girls wings or something like that. Could be. Could be. I mean, and this could just be like another thing on top of mm-hmm. it. I mean. Like, you know, poor Sarah Connor actually was quite aware of the coming robocalypse. But, you know, it's not like she could tell that to her daughter because they would just pronounce her crazy yet again. You said Sarah Connor and I just thought of Sarah Harvey and it was, it was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> no faith but what we make. Um, so, yeah, uh, Charlotte goes to run and hide because Bethany's going to help. Um, she kind of, Bethany gives uh, Charlotte's arm a little squeeze there, so. And it kind of makes her go hide behind an air conditioner. Which, which tells you, you know, that, that Bethany is a trusted friend and mm-hmm. that Charlotte can always count on her. Always count on. So Charlotte gets up and is kind of like walking along. I'm sorry, no, uh, Bethany gets up and is walking across the ledge. And we see kind of from Charlotte's angle here, Bethany, she's talking to Marion over by the ledge. We can't really hear. It looks like maybe they're kind of arguing a little well, bit. I like, like the detail that, that Charlotte's hiding behind like the giant AC thing, which starts mm-hmm. up right then. Yeah. Like um, further obscuring the conversation. Yeah, so we can't really hear. It looks like an argument, not like a superheated one, but some kind of argument, some sort of dispute. Uh, and then just out of nowhere, Bethany just like reaches out and shows Marion Kavanaugh right off the ledge. Is this the same actor, by the way? I think it is. Yes, it is. Yeah, that's. They're just like, yeah, you weren't doing anything. Um, I can't stop laughing at this scene. It's so funny. Uh, it's, I, it's a murder, but it's hilarious. It is a murder because it's funny just because of the physical comedy, but also yeah. for all we know, Marion was saying like, you know, I thought it was going to be warmer. I didn't need the uh, the bathrobe or whatever. Yeah. And Bethany's like, yeah, bitch, fly. <laughs> um, and Marion's just like, yeah, there she goes. And Charlotte's just like horrified. Like, you know, Bethany looks back at him or at her and she comes over and she looks over the ledge to kind of confirm. She's like, oh my God, Bethany, what did you do? Bethany's like, what did I do? You pushed her, freak. Mm. Charles's face is like, well, fuck. Yeah, betrayal is going to be a common theme for Charlotte. <laughs> Well, and not just that. Finding betrayal, new ways to be disappointed by other people. Betrayal and then the way that she's judged and how mm-hmm. it further fucks up her life because of what something else, so how someone else has viewed her or judged her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which to me totally ties into the, the recurring themes of PLL. Yeah. So thoughts on this scene. I mean, so the monster in Bethany's drawings, could we say that was Ken? I mean, I, I always thought it was Ken. I if I ever thought the one was, like carrying the baby away from Jessica, I don't know. I don't know that. I mean, I, it's hard to tell based on this action. Like, how sympathetic is Bethany really to to Charlotte's situation? True. Yeah. Although, I mean, I feel like if she was hanging out with Charlotte a lot, she definitely heard. I mean, I'm sure Charlotte was like, "Yo, my dad sucks." Um, I I think you know Charlotte eventually figured that out because like dad never came to visit. 
So I don't know. I mean, that was always my interpretation to begin with. Was that like the kind of creepy monsters in Bethany's drawings were Kenneth? I mean, maybe that maybe I mean. We've obviously seen that Bethany is a straight-up psychopath here I mean, with like it could just real be, violent tendencies, so maybe it's just her. It could be just indicative of how society, as she perceives it, takes away your childhood, for all we know. I mean, mm-hmm. we could really get into some, dig deep into some like, like art interpretation of Bethany Young here. I mean, really, I just want Big Rhonda to come back. And then push Bethany off, yeah. Also, uh, you know, it's not ever mentioned here. I'm sure people are thinking about it, but Effie Lamb. Poor Eddie Lamb. Maybe he'll come back. Hopefully. He's uh, not in the barrel. Um, not in the barrel. But yeah, so technically Marion Cavanaugh was supposed to have died in like 2007, I think, like based on like dialogue in the first secret. Right. Um, obviously, that's a little sketchy as far as this episode goes, but what are you going to do? Yeah. Because Charlotte would have been like late teens by then. Well, and, and as the story progresses, you'll find that not even not even all the details check out. And I think I think that works because I don't think I want it to be such a cut and dry confession. Well, I can understand fans getting annoyed with the timeline not matching when they've put a lot of effort into trying to figure out, you know, they're like really paying attention and like gathering those clues and then it doesn't match up. Like that is annoying. It's mm-hmm. it's not a major gripe for me, but it's a minor gripe. Um it's like how how hard would it have been to like get the timeline right? I don't know. Yeah. But I, I that, that's I what we're left with, you know. I agree, but I, I feel like this is still like. I mean, and some of this too is that in, when they did the first secret, they probably didn't have this plotline planned out, so that's part of it. <laughs> and I would love to hear more about, like, I believe your anecdote that you had mentioned was that season three started. They had an idea for who A was, and then it was like a few episodes in. They had this was a, from a, a BuzzFeed interview. Yeah, they they changed their mind after a few episodes for I who mean, the new A was going to be. I and. I'm, I was going to say, I saw another article today where they asked Marlene King, did you have any other ideas? And she did have other ideas who A would be, but she doesn't want to tell them until after the series is over, I was just, just so that say, she doesn't want to, you know, potentially mess up any future plot lines they have. I was just going to say, I mean, with a show like PLL, it's not like you can really go into mm-hmm. things that didn't pan out. I mean, that has to happen. Well, not, not yet. Yeah, you got to wait yeah. till the show's over. Um, yeah. By the way, it's going to be like a four-hour podcast. Sorry. I hope you're all happy. Uh, we're <laughs> going to go back to Rally present day. I'm going to say back to Rally present day a shit ton in this episode because that's most of what we do is flashback and go back to Rally. Yeah, my, my notes say that room in Rally or like A's brain room mm-hmm. or A's cerebral cortex. Also, there was one person who suggested that this be a two-part episode that was two hours each. Jesus. <laughs> you monster. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, back is in the this now. monster? Back in the now, Allison's processing this story, and Allison's like, so Bethany blamed you for Mrs. Kavanaugh's death? She says, no one believed the boy wearing the dress. I had the most to lose, so they thought I pushed her. And Allison's like, even mom? She says, she paid off Wilton to make sure Marion's death was ruled a suicide. So they're like, man, getting caught on the roof at Radley, like, you might as well kill someone to get escape that. I guess that was the idea there. Yeah, yeah. So back in age. So by the way, also Wilden would have been like a teenager then. Uh, just let it go. So the five liars are listening to this in the brain room. Uh, and Emily's like, "Oh my god, he let Toby think his mother killed herself." Because remember, Emily actually gives a shit about Toby. Yeah, Spencer very emotional. She kind of turned away, holding her mouth. She's crying. She's all this time, he thought she chose to leave him. That changed him. That changed him, you guys. Spencer, that changed me. Uh, 
that just cracked me. Even though I'm not in this episode, they made sure to include my voice. Uh, It makes me smile. Toby was changed, you guys. Hannah says, Mrs. D sacrificed Toby for Charles. I mean, I'm sure Mrs. D doesn't even know who Toby is. (laughs) Well, he's he's the shirtless boy who was clearing away the rubbish over in Peter's yard. Nice abs. And Arya says, now we know who taught A how to treat people like dolls. And he says, Mrs. D abandoned him, but Mrs. Or I'm sorry, Mr. D abandoned him, but Mrs. D taught Charles how to be A. Honestly, the liars should all just be FBI profilers in the time jump. Should they? Because they're they're really like good the worst about... profilers ever. Exactly. They're really good about like, you guys, this is Charles's soul. Yeah. And then <laughs> Charlotte turns to liars and she's like, excuse me, I would prefer if you said her now. Yeah, but uh, uh, I think that, there, that there's a good point made there, though. Like, Mr. D provided the it initial... It was just an asshole. Yeah. yeah, the asshole trauma. And Mrs. D kind of, in her best intention, shaped it much more horrifically. I mean, I think she she taught Charlotte how to lie. Yeah, and um, told her that And how that... to manipulate. Not necessarily how to be A, though. Well, but it also... But, I mean, that kind of shaped that yeah. worldview. But, like... And told I mean, she taught Allie that, that too. Yeah, but taught her children that this is better than something real and true and honest. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Jason, go go doubt yourself some more. Yeah, so Charlotte says, after that, the doctors gave me a new diagnosis, intermittent explosive disorder. And she's just laughing at this. And Allie's like, why is that funny? And Charlotte says, because it was an accurate diagnosis for that crazy bitch Bethany. And Allie's probably thinking right now, like, well... You're A, so eh, never mind. Pot, kettle, yeah, black, black. Charlotte says the next couple of years they dope me up on tranks till I almost drown in my own drool, literally. And Allie says I'm so sorry. And Hannah's like, wait, now Allie's apologizing? I mean, is she forgetting the hell A put us through? All of us, including her. And Mona's just like, shh. I wanted Ari to like elbow her and be like, that's my line, <laughs> Hannah. Yeah. The shusher. Well, I think it's neat. Like, this reveal is really important to Mona for different reasons than it is for the liars. Like, this was Mona's, like, Jedi Master here for a little while. Yeah. And in addition yeah. to also, like, imprisoning her in, in the hole in the dollhouse for who knows well, how long. Mona's storyline here is different but the same in the sense of, like, Hannah's with Mona and that she doesn't know how much she was shaped. Mm-hmm into somebody yeah. else's image and and mona was obviously in a very fragile clay-like shape where she was molded by somebody um so back at rally cc continues uh i think the quacks felt bad for almost killing me so they let me out for a funeral and allison's like who died and cc turns and looks at that picture of, like freddie and jason from the birthday party and picks up a teddy bear that's nearby and she says charles we getting buried very him. emotional yeah at Aunt Carol's. And then mom finally accepted me as her daughter and i thought i was going to get to go home but she took me back to Radley as Charlotte. Really great work here. Like you can hear this, like the excitement, you know, finally accepted me. And then I had to go back to Radley, you know, like excitement, disappointment. Yeah. And Hannah says, um, well, I'll say like before we get that, I just, I'm, I'm very glad that we didn't go into the process. I know a lot of people, you know, they want that respected. It's, it's a whole process for a person to deal with. It doesn't matter. But I, I kind of glad that they respected Charlotte's privacy. In this, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and Han says, wait, so Charles is Cece, but Cece is Charlotte? Everybody got that? And then we hear some kind of futuristic beeping on the computer, and Ari's like, Mona what is that? Mona needs to raise the shields. The Klingons yeah. are attacking. Robin and Warburg so. decloaking. 
Yeah. And on screen, we see a little like motion detected warning. And Mona says it's a motion sensor. And she hits a button, brings up a different camera. And you see that it's like another hallway at Radley. There's a sign or like a little extents on the wall. It says RW2. And Spencer and Mona kind of like both look at each other, like knowing glances. And Emily's like, what is it? Spencer says, it's Radley, the rear west wing. It's on the second floor. Then we get like the kind of ominous music, ominous PLL music playing here as the camera gets blocked out by a patch of red moving past it because Redcoat has arrived. Then Lady in Red starts playing. And Mona changes the angle and we see Redcoat walking down the hall towards some like blue barrels, uh, kind of weird blue barrels. And Hardy's like, there's another one? Emily says, I thought Allie and Cece were the only two Redcoats. You thought wrong. <laughs> Redcoat sits down a small box, like a little like weird like mini briefcase thing near the barrels, and Hannah says, So who's that? I mean like Tanner, like Sarah Harvey, that's I mean, I'm I don't know. It, at this point, those are my only two suspects. Like I wasn't it's thinking me. like Yeah, maybe it's Toby. Yeah. I mean it and I mean It's Ezra. This appears to be a very feminine frame, too. I mean maybe it could be Ren, but you know, like, <laughs> like I don't, I don't know if anyone's ever actually read this comic book called Love and Rockets, but there's a moment at the end of the first volume of it where something happens to a character, and she perceives it as it's basically she gets slapped, <laughs> and she perceives it in different frames across like this two panels, two page spread of every single character she's interacted with as being the person who slapped her because <laughs> it's all led up to this moment, and I almost wish they had filmed that with PLO. For all of these things where somebody turns around, there's a face underneath this hood. Oh, I yeah. wish it was like every single character had that moment. They just did like a quick cut. Well, I have to say, when when Cece first turned around there, mm-hmm. my it took my brain a second to kind of like recognize Cece just because it was like black hoodie, no makeup, hair underneath the hoodie. So it's it actually is kind of hard to recognize faces sometimes when like you don't have like the hair to, and, you know, and the hairstyling and whatnot to kind of see who it is, you know, when it's just the face, like kind of like covered by a hood. Well, and on top of it, it's it's a cognitive event when yeah. you finally get a reveal like this, and your brain has to fuse all of what you've all the the possibilities into the reality. It's like when a sentient like monster made of gas exactly shoots like its way out of a forest. Mm-hmm. But Arya oh. says, what is she doing with those trash cans? And Mona zooms in. They have these, like, toxic flammable labels on them. And Spencer's like, that's not trash. And I love, again, they're, they're literally watching their own TV show trying to figure it out. The only thing that would have made this better is if they shit-talked their own timeline. <laughs> yeah. Or if Hannah was like... She's just like, bullshit. Or Hannah was like, I wanted to be red. <clears throat> yeah. Ali would be, like, four years old then. That's horseshit. Um so we see like doing math in the background. <laughs> Redcoat takes out like a detonator from this like little mini briefcase or something. I love it. It's like in a special briefcase. Yeah. Uh, Spencer says, oh, my God, that's why she's telling us her story. That's how she's going to end it. Cece's going to blow up Bradley. Hannah face, Mona face. So shit. Supreme Hannah face here. Yeah. yeah. The mother of all Hannah face. And then we hear Charlotte say, I couldn't trust anyone after Bethany. No shit. So another flashback. Uh, Charlotte is older now, now played by Vanessa Ray. Uh, I thought they did a great job of of making her look younger here. Yeah, yeah, really good job of making her look younger and just more innocent, I guess. And a little bit like Kirsten Dunst. Yeah. Uh, 
And Vanessa or Charlotte is in Riley. She's doing like some math homework because she's a super genius. Solve for A. Yeah. Uh, we hear her voiceover. She says, so I found a way to escape Riley without ever leaving, which I think we can just interpret that she's like a self-taught super genius because of all the time she had in her hands. Yeah. Well, uh, she's smart. Yeah. So then behind her, we see Jessica kind of walks in while knocking on the door. The door's open, so it doesn't really seem like Charlotte's on, like, a total lockdown here. Right. I mean, it seems like she probably has a run of the place. Good for her that she doesn't have any crazy roommates. Yeah, and she's, uh, Jessica says, knock, knock. And Charlotte turns and smiles. We see the room is filled with, like, tons of books. Like, all kinds of books. Yeah. This was another one of the moments where I, I, I wish it had more room to breathe. Like, this, you know, a 90-minute episode allow us to kind of take this in a little bit more because this seems like an important detail here that like you really have to be paying attention to notice like this is this is why charlotte slash cc is such a genius because she's basically done nothing but educate herself mm-hmm. while she's been trapped at radley here the only other thing i, I appreciated this detail the only other thing i would have wanted and i don't even care if it was like a throwaway single line of like oh by the way mm-hmm. i read a book and became a super hacker overnight yeah, like I had it. They gave me a laptop or something. Yeah, yeah. What's this? A tool for taking over the world? Don't mind if I do. Yeah, so Charlotte says, Mom, and she gets up, uh, gives her mom a big hug. It is very nice to see Jessica, like, embracing her daughter here. Oh, and you can feel how any visit from somebody who actually knows her mm-hmm. means a great deal to Charlotte. Yeah, and Jessica says, Oh, I have fantastic news. Charlotte says, They're letting me out. And Jessica says, Well, sort of. She sits on the bed and she kind of pats the space next to her for Charlotte to join her. And you can tell Charlotte's kind of like wary. She says, either I'm locked up in here or I'm not. Like, there's no sort of being a patient at Radley. And Jessica says, the board has granted you permission to attend classes at UPenn. And Charlotte's like, she's stunned. She says, how did you do that? How? And Jessica says, you did it, Charlotte, by showing them how smart you are. And Charlotte's definitely overcome with emotion here and... Jessica takes her kind of face and hands, wipes away her tears, and she says, now, now, don't cry. I'm very proud of you. And she kisses her on her forehead. Very nice scene here. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Jessica still cared a lot about her daughter here. Mm-hmm. I just had to imagine, like, the, the like boardroom slash potentially bedroom shenanigans that Jessica's doing with the board of Radley. Because I'm always fascinated by, like, how did she, what can you imagine mm-hmm. that she even met Bethany Young's father? It had, well, you know, I, I almost feel like it had to be through something Radley related, you know? Most likely, yeah. Let me just interject, though. You see various places where people are like, man, Jessica is such a hoe, you know, like, just sleeping around. Like, have you met her fucking husband? Yeah. Like, Kenneth is, like, just yeah. dog shit. Like, no wonder. Yeah. Like. Yeah, she obviously needs to go elsewhere for, like, any sort of, like, emotional whatever. Mm-hmm. Ugh. I hope you're not cheating on me. Oh, God, Kenneth. The true villain. He really is. Oh, I, I wonder if we'll so see him show. after the time jump, yeah. I, 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 will he be, like, just, like, fragile and, like... Like, just broken down after this revelation. And people like Kenneth just double down, I feel like. <laughs> like, he'll be, he'll just be a headstone in the graveyard. Mm-hmm. He'd just die. His liver exploded. Unbeloved father. Yeah. His liver exploded a year later. 
Um, so yeah, back at that room in Rally, Cece saying, you know, I thought going to school would be fun, but I already knew most of what they were teaching. One day, classes were canceled. Okay, I called in a bomb threat. I knew it was a risk, but I needed to see my family. So we get a flashback. Well, I like, you know, she's she says this as she's looking at her dollhouse. It's a nice shot through there. And I... And she just casually tosses off, like, yeah, I called in a bomb threat. And you can just see Allie's thinking, like, shit, why didn't I think of that? Yeah. It's genius. Well, it's, it's, it's like, you know, Allison is playing the role of, like, the horrified witness here. Mm-hmm. Which almost, to to one mindset, is not Allison. It's not who she is. Because Allison's basically oh. being out-Allisoned mm-hmm. by Cece here. Um but yeah, so Rosewood High flashback years ago. It's a day of yearbook photos. And this is the other thing, too. I thought this was the most blatant clue from the dollhouse was the year of the prom. Uh, yes and no, because it didn't match up. I mean, I don't know. It didn't match up, but we knew who the prom queen was that year. And I didn't think it was going to be Melissa. I didn't think it was going to be Jason. So that was my big thing there. So anyways, we see Jason, speaking of which, getting his photo taken, being a real burnout bro. Looks uh, very sullen. Um, how much... How much, like, how many sublime CDs do you think Jason listened to in the way to all of them school today? Yeah, um, Charlotte's, sublime. Charlotte's watching him and she's like, Would it kill you to smile? He doesn't look and he's like, What's it to you? And she's like, Rude much? And Jason, like, turns and looks and he is blown away by how hot she is. Oh, he's like, Oh shit, hot blonde talking to me. Better, you know, play it cool. There is something almost. Almost a taboo about how hot she is in Jason's mind, I think. And he's like, sorry. I, uh, and she's like, what? And I love how, like, she's coming off as aloof to him. But it's like, she's kind of dorky in a way. Yeah. In her she, own special way. And, and Jason's just like, can we start again? Um, I'm Jason. Jason DeLaurentis. I'm totally a high school student. <laughs> I've been it, coming to the same timeline for six years. And in no way is that depressing. Yeah. And we hear a photographer say, next, please. So Charlotte heads on over and just takes a seat at the stool and Jason's a little confused and he's like, do you even go to school here? And Charlotte says, no, but I'll bet I'll be the prettiest girl in the yearbook. She Jason sits- has the weirdest boner right now. Yeah. She sits down for a photo and Jason says, you didn't tell me your name. And Charlotte says, you're right. I didn't. I'm Cece. And they take her picture and she says, Cece Drake. So this apparently is where Cece Drake was born and Jason smiles at her, and it's it's like he instantly likes her. He doesn't really know why. Right. You know, there's a familiarity. Um, so a lot of people really mad about how Cece could have gotten in the yearbook and be listed as prom queen. I feel like on this subject, I am an export and can hold forth on this. I was the yearbook editor of my high school yearbook. Mm. One of the best in the nation. We won a gold crown. So how would this happen? Let me tell you how yearbooks work. Uh, there's... Stuff that you want to work on in yearbook when you're like kind of like the the energetic kind of like, you know, working part of the staff. Like we had we had like a class of about 20 people, right? You were in my yearbook uh, staff, mm-hmm. you should mention. Um, class of about 20 people. About half of the people in the class were completely worthless. And the other half did all the work. That's just kind of how it goes. Mm-hmm. So doing the mug shots which is what we call that section of the yearbook that goes to that's like the shit job nobody wants to do that they want to be like doing the the spread on like the kid who has cancer or like the creative new way you found like cover like television or culture nobody wants to do the fucking mug shot so you give that to the people who like don't do anything in class they're the ones who handle typing in the data entry for like you know people's yearbook quotes and you know, making sure the mug shots are all there. Like, well, okay, let's let's skip to the end here. Mm-hmm. Basically, the students tell you, yeah, 
They write it down on a piece of paper. They say they're prom oh, queen. You just type it in. You put it there. The the only fact checking that's done in that area remotely is the index at the end where you somebody should hopefully and it gets it gets fucked up should but go you back give and the check. index to the the people who like that's a shit job too so you don't want to do that either but the editor never checks any of that i can tell you but there was a lot of story god this is really boring hey welcome to the yearbook podcast uh there's a lot of oh i can go on for days and days about about people who because you you send off versions and portions of the yearbook to the company that's going to print it up and they send you back proofs and it's an mm-hmm. ongoing process and you will put things in there or you hear these stories these horror stories where i'm gonna put like so-and-so their their clubs included like french club uh av whatever varsity this also huge dick yeah and it's like you put that as a joke and it comes back in the proof and you cross it out and you you change it and then every once in a while you forget or it gets missed and it gets and, and when you have the burnout who doesn't care fact checking this they see prom queen they're just going to keep on reading but there's also a chance i don't know when they do these yearbook photos usually yearbook photos are beginning to midpoint of the year mm-hmm. for all we know cc went to prom with jason and got crowned prom king or queen that's possible but i i, I feel like she just probably filled out i mean because I think this was established when we had the yearbook uh, photo session at the end of season five when Arya was running that with her mom. Mm-hmm. That like that you just fill it out right there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I thought I think that's a fascinating thing that they put that scene in. I think that is so smart of this show. Well, I think they wanted to be like, yeah, here's how she got in the yearbook, even though yeah. she didn't really go to Rosewood. Yeah. Um, also, so, Jason, Jason Laurentis, uh, epitome of the stoned male gaze. Yeah. Now you know more about how yearbooks work. More than you ever wanted to know. Uh, I could so, go on for days. Yeah, that would be fascinating. So, mm-hmm. so back at Radley now, uh, Cece can anticipate Allison's comments. She's like, I know what you're going to say. It's screwed up that I dated my brother. <laughs> so Allison takes it where all of our minds are going. She's like, did you guys? And well, this is like, a total lampshade here. Yeah. She's like, okay, that's just sick, Allie. Like I said, it's my brother. Why do you think he was so mad all the time? He was so frustrated. It's like the writers just can't help treating Jason like a complete doofus here. He's so frustrated. The way CZ's mind works here is like the way like Vanessa Ray so deliciously plays. I was just so on board with this moment of the show. But, you know, it's like I felt like, again, you know, Jason has also dated Melissa. (laughs) Oh, he's got the double whammy. Yeah. It's like people kind of want to forget that this guy, this is the guy who, in addition to all that doubt, has dated two of his four sisters. (laughs) We don't know where he's heading the time jump. Does he have four sisters? Yep. Melissa. Oh, yeah, right. Spencer. Okay, yeah. Sure. <laughs> so, yeah, Charlotte goes over to the little mirror in this, uh, you know, cell here, and she's, like, checking herself out. She's like, and who could blame him? She kind of finally takes the hoodie off. She lets her hair down. She says, I mean, look at me. And Allie's still a little skeptical, and she's like, I can't believe Mom was okay with this. And Charlotte says, Mom didn't know Cece was Charlotte until the day we left for Cape May. And then we get another flashback. Oh, I love I love Andrea Parker in this scene. She is so good. It's uh, Charlotte and Jessica are on the Delorentis front porch. They're arguing. Jessica says, how could you risk everything you've worked so hard for? And Charlotte's kind of trying to keep her voice down. She's like, Mom, could you please? Jason and Allie are inside. If they find out, they'll kill me. Jessica says, so all this time you've been pretending to go to school while you were running around Rosewood with my children? Oh, the exclusion. Oh, that that hurts. Yeah. And Charlotte's like, I'm your child, too. I just wanted to be with my family. And Jessica says, 
Jason asked your father if he could, you could bring his girlfriend to the Cape. He's on his way home right now to meet I you. hope my son's new girlfriend is hot. And Charlotte says, what would happen if you found out about me? And Jessica doesn't answer. And Charlotte's like, Mom, what would happen if you found out about me? And Mrs. D's in tears now. And she says, he thinks you're dead. And Charlotte's horrified by this. She's like, you told him that grave was real? Whoa, all this time I thought you did that for me, but you did that for you. You did that to protect you. Uh, Jessica's like, what? And Charlotte says, you didn't just bury Charles, you buried your dirty secret. And she kind of storms away. Uh, Jessica says, I lied to him so that you could finally be you. He never would have allowed it. Because I did see some kind of criticism online, like, like why would Charlotte like have a, a burial for herself? That's totally weird. And it, it makes a little bit more sense that it was kind of like Jessica's idea. She kind of pushed that. Well, no, I, 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 I believe it because she's it, it for for Charlotte. It's that ceremonial well, there's goodbye a, to that 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 shell. You know, there's a facade. metaphor there, but it definitely seems like Jessica kind of like suggested this. You but know, remember, like th that's what remember, this, that's what the grave was really there for is for Jessica, not for Charlotte. Possibly too, but it wasn't like what what I think Cece is implying here is that it was her cover with Ken. And yeah, you're right. It's Jessica saying goodbye to her son. You know, she's welcoming her daughter here. But remember, Ken was told that well, yeah, it's, Charles' it's, ashes were spread over. Like, that's why Jessica was doing it. It was a cover. And she may have pitched it to her daughter as some sort of metaphorical experience or whatever. But there's an, an ulterior motive there, too. And Charlotte's realizing that now. But I mean, this this whole scene in total, this is Jessica De Laurentiis at her most real, her most complete. Mm -hmm. You see all aspects of this character here, and I love it. Yeah, so Charlotte's storming away, and Jessica says, I lied to him so that you could finally be you. He never would have allowed it. And just then, Kenneth rolls up in his SUV, and at the same time, the front door to the house opens, as they're right on the porch there, and we see Allie is, like, lugging a suitcase out. And so now it's, it's like, kind of like Jessica has, like, many fronts that she <laughs> must kind of, like, keep her eye on now. She rushes over to meet her husband, and Allie is just like, okay, I know I'm bringing a lot. And Jessica's just like, not now, Allie. Jessica's just like, she's she's juggling a French farce here. Yeah, and then <laughs> Jason psychological issues. Jason walks out and he's like, Mom, Surfer dude. I didn't know you were home. He's and dressed like Poochie from The Simpsons. He totally is. <laughs> it's exactly how Jason is dressed. Uh, and so Jessica turns to see that like Jason's come out now. He's right next to Charlotte there, and he's like kind of standing around awkwardly, and Jason's just like, Oh, this is Cece. <laughs> and Jessica, like very quick, quick thinking, she's like, uh, she was on the porch when I pulled up. She's lovely, Jason. There's so much line in this family. It's it's like their oxygen. Just steal a line from noted wordsmith Ezra Fitz. <laughs> and then Kenneth comes around from his car, and he has the fucking creepiest, like genuine smile on his face. It's like the first time he's ever smiled on the show. I like how you can put creepy and genuine into the same thing, mm -hmm. and it's so true. Yeah, and he says hi, kisses Jessica on the cheek, and Jessica's like, hi, but she's clearly distracted. She's kind of watching Charlotte, who's watching her son-of-a-bitch father here. She <laughs> walks over to him, and Kenneth is just like, you must be Cece. I'm Mr. De Laurentiis. A lot of people apparently read this as maybe he's, a, like, pre-flirting with her. Mm. Which, I didn't initially read it that way. It's interesting to rewatch this scene, like, looking for that. I mean, I guess you could say that, or maybe he's just like, 
like, wow, my you know son landed a babe or whatever. I don't I know. I think he's just putting on his usual kind of like facade. Well, he's actually smiling though, which is what makes it so strange. It's like this is the only time he ever smiles on the show, and it's he's meeting the daughter that he doesn't know he has. Right. Uh, and Charlotte says, you know, so nice to meet you. But I can see you're all getting ready to leave, so I'm just going to get out of your hair. And she tries to leave, but Kenneth is confused. He's like, but I thought you were coming with us. And Charlotte stops. She's a little unsure. And then Allie's just like, really? Oh, my God, this is going to be the best summer ever. It's really funny to see Allie, like, young and clueless here. Like They they do a great job, I think, of evoking young Allie. Mm-hmm. And kind of Charlotte doesn't know what to do. She kind of turns and she puts on a happy face. It's like she wants this, you know, it's her whole family's there. She wants to spend time with them. But at the same time, it's like she's living a lie in order to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Being asked to, to join the thing that she wants most, but as a lie. And I thought, too, about the scene of, with Ken where he actually looks at her. The last time he actually looked at her, it was just like, what are you doing? You know, yeah. I was, he wasn't even looking at her when they stranded Charlotte in Radley. You know, yeah, he wouldn't child. even look at her. So back at Radley now, uh, Cece's like, you know, I know you went through a lot that summer, but we had a hell of a lot of fun too, Allie. <laughs> and Allison's still processing this. Allie's feel very looks, meta. Looks very disillusioned right now. Yeah, very meta. She says, every time I remember something, I have to look at it differently now. We were so close. Why didn't you just tell me the truth? And Cece says, I was going to, I swear, but that bitch Bethany, she ruined everything. She found out mom was having an affair for dad and she lost it. She stole my clothes. She knew I had out privileges and she snuck out of Radley. She was going to hurt mom. So you flashback to. Well, so just a couple thoughts here. Um, obviously, that explains like the, the mystery of the affair there with Bethany's dad mm-hmm. is that there is no mystery. Jessica just wanted some side action. Like there's, well, there's, there's really well, nothing else there. I mean, well, you know, with all, with all relationships, human relationships, especially affairs, there's a story there. We don't know, but from our perspective, it's just an affair. Well, it's, it's exactly what we'd heard it was. Yeah. It was an affair, you know? Uh, and, uh, I missed this the first time, but so the, the yellow top situation, why, why was Bethany dressed like Allie's? Because Bethany <laughs> stole the clothes from Charlotte to dress up like Charlotte to get out of Rally. Mm-hmm. Why did Charlotte have the same clothes as Allie? It's because uh, Jessica Just was was buying them both the same clothes. Remember, like the that top was waiting for Allison that day. Yeah. And I presumably it was also waiting for uh, Charlotte that day as well. So that's like the fact that they wore them on the same day is really just an unlucky coincidence. Yeah. Like there, there was no somebody dressing up a body or, or you know, someone right, secretly right. tricking somebody into wearing an outfit. It's just kind of a weird coincidence. Yeah, which is a, a neat little twist on things there. Yeah, I mean, I think they handled the, all of this, these, these logistics in a way that I like. I want to say, wasn't it like the killing where the logistics were just bonkers. Yeah, let's not even get into that. Yeah, so uh, that night, uh, that night. Dark clothes, picking up a rock, sneaking forward. We see that classic, dare I say, iconic shot from Acer Answers. Where there's it's it's the exact shot because they reuse a lot of footage in this episode. Right, I know a lot of people were talking in like the the preview commercial. They thought it was like refilmed with a different actress, but nope. yeah, it's not. This is Allison in the yellow top, facing her mother in the open window, like not sure what their look on her mother's face is. As Cece sneaks up behind this blonde girl and bonks her over the head of a rock because Cece thinks it's Bethany. Yeah, and that the, Bethany has come to hurt Jessica. 
see the bloody rock fall on the ground. Cece then looks down and sees it's Allison laying there with the purple Allison bracelet on and her wrist. I love that detail. Mm-hmm. She looks up then. It's like she doesn't quite, it doesn't compute until she looks up and sees Jessica D like freaking out through the window. And then the realization hits Cece like a freight truck. And Charlotte screams like, no! On it, it makes sense too. Like, it's it's not just like, oh, she fears for her mom. Like, Bethany Young killed another mother, you know? So, like, Charlotte fully knows what Bethany Young is capable of here, which is why she would just go knock her out with a rock. Well, and it's not just that she's, you know, going to attack her own mother. Bethany mm-hmm. Young has contributed to the ruining of Charlotte's life. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's damaged her her name, her identity, her standing. Um, so after the commercial, it's dark and thunderous night. We see Charlotte up against a tree crying. Uh, Jessica D is digging a hole. That hole. She's shoveling like, shoveling dirt what on Allie's body here. Yeah. What have you done? We see Allison in the end in the grounds, dirt covering her, and Charlotte's just like, "I swear, I thought it was Bethany. I swear, I didn't know it was Allie, Mom. Oh God, yeah. you have to forgive me, Mom. Please, you have to forgive me, Mom." Jessica, just Charlotte's sobbing. Her. Yeah. But she's just falling apart. Um. So in, in Rally Now, uh, Cece's like crying as she recounts as part of the story. She's just like, she wouldn't even look at me. She wouldn't even look at me. Like her cries become this, like indistinct mumbling. And we see like the, the wetness in Allison's eyes. She processes, especially since she had a part in the story. She's mm-hmm. literally a body in this story. So many issues for her stemming from that moment. I mean, you have to flash back to her telling the other liars about this in Answer Answers. Well, and we, we always knew there were, there was only one possible explanation really is that it it had to be a sibling of allison's like who else would jessica protect but another member of her family but but i think especially because allison's thing was that she was trying to move mm-hmm. her and mom she couldn't yeah she, her mom couldn't acknowledge her and it's like this these two girls went through the same thing in, in a very different way but uh so back in a's brain there uh Mona's getting a little bit misty. Her eyes, her makeup starting to run. And Hannah notices. And she's like, Mona, are you okay? And Mona turns, ready to face up to something she just realized. And she says, I killed Bethany. I'd been sending Allie threats. I didn't want to hurt her. I just wanted to scare her. But that night, so many people were mad at Allison. She was all alone in her yard. And the shovel was right there. It, it all happened so fast. And Emily's like, you hated Allie that much? Enough to kill her? And for a moment, I wrote my notes. No shit, Emily. Um, <laughs> but Mona's well, like, I think the idea was that Mona's saying she she didn't go there to kill Allie. It, it just happened. kind of like happened. Like it suddenly was... there was an opportunity and a shovel and like, you know, overcome with rage. Would you label it a crime of passion? Sure. Mona uh, says, when I hit her, all I could hear was Allie berating me. Every awful thing she'd ever said to me all at once. But a CC Allie, Bethany had blonde hair and she was dressed just like Allison. She takes a big breath. She's like, I killed an innocent person. And Spencer's just like, Bethany wasn't innocent. Uh, let us never speak it of again the wisdom professor who oddly enough has yet to murder anybody um and it's very uh, disappointing well let's let's talk about this well because mona thought she hit allison but since she you know mere hours later saw that allison was obviously alive she hasn't been carrying that same amount of guilt around well i think so mona she thought that this whole time she thought she hit Allie. Mm-hmm. she thought she hit Allie. later on was driving around like holy shit there's Allie. And it was like, well, I, I guess I didn't do her in. And so she got rid of her a different way. Uh, she probably was so confused the whole time about, like, what was this other body? Like, that must have haunted her. And it must have nagged her. And it must have bugged the shit about her. You know, she always had to, like, wonder what the situation was. And Allie apparently never really filled her in. Right. And so this whole time, she she hasn't totally known. And now she finally knows the truth that she was the person who hit the other 
person, the other blonde that night. And so just a reminder. So Mona hit Bethany and then Melissa buried Bethany. Melissa just, you know, you find a body, you bury it. Well, especially Spencer when might have killed him. Yeah. Especially when there's already a hole dug for you. Yeah. I you mean, know, sometimes so you make somebody a nice bed. It's up for them to lay down. Two, two potential timelines, I guess, here. Either... It's it's so hard to like keep all these names in check. Either Charlotte hit Allie, was buried by Jessica, then rescued by the Greenwald, then Bethany shows up, Mona sees her, knocks her over the head of the shovel, takes off, and then Melissa buries her. That's one possibility. Or it could be that the bashing uh, Bethany over the head thing happened first. Melissa buries Bethany. And then later on that night, Allie gets like buried right next to her or something. See, I don't find that because the hole was already dug. The hole was for... already kind of half dug. So that definitely leans more towards Allie getting hit first. Yeah. Right. Right. It doesn't totally matter. But have have you considered the possibility that Sarah Harvey's from the future and she's come back to change the timeline? Come with me if you want to live. <laughs> Oh, I love Sarah so much. <laughs> She's amazing. I just want, I want, uh, uh, oh, what is her name? Dre, uh, Dre Davis. Dre Davis. I want Dre Davis to do a movie of Case Do Now. I want Dre Davis on the podcast. Oh, yes. Dre Davis, please. Yeah. So we're going to go back to Radley here. Allie's kind of collected herself and she says, Jason told Emily he saw you that night wearing my yellow top. And uh, Charlotte's kind of just shaking her head, confused. She's still a little shaken from like giving her own confession there. And she says, "Maybe he saw Bethany, or he saw you. He didn't see me." See, this is why I love this moment. I love this moment because to me, this kind of addresses like in again, unreliable in narrator. Sense, yeah, in a meta sense, though, it's like you have questions with the timeline. Good, it's okay. <laughs> it doesn't all check out. The middle finger, right but at your fans. Yeah. To me, I would not be shocked if. Potentially the next year and a half of the show, maybe something will come back. Well, I mean, to that night, a few possibilities here. Maybe Jason was just like stoned and confused, and so it's like forget about it; it's not important. Or maybe this is some clue of some kind of larger game being played. Maybe well, there was another person in the yellow top. Maybe Charlotte. We know she kind of perfected the kind of like false plea for sympathy back on the rooftop there at Radley. Mm-hmm. Maybe she's doing that here right now. Well, because I got to say, so far in the story, Charlotte has told us she comes off as really pretty blameless. So maybe she's not a totally reliable narrator. So so far. Yeah. Uh, Spoiler. There will be no mention of the NAT club in any of these confessions or these stories. This isn't about some stupid club. (laughs) I mean, I always felt like that line of dialogue was basically telling everyone, like, shut up about the NAT club. But maybe they will bring it back. Who knows? But I know I know a lot of people complain that that never came up in in this episode. But, you know, who knows what's happening. Honestly, I wasn't expecting it to, but yeah. Yeah, I was wondering. um, Because we were talking about, like, the Jenna thing as a possible motive for Mm -hmm. why A would hate the girls. Um, Jenna thing has good motives, yeah. Flashback to that night out in front of the dealer's house. There's Jessica D. Cece, like, sitting on the porch steps. There's a cop in a black and white car parked out front. And Jessica D. saying to this cop, you found her on the highway outside of Rally. That's all anybody needs to know. This cop, of course, is Officer Wilden. Darren Wilden. Good old Wilden. Uh, he says, Back in uniform. He's like, I was never in Rosewood tonight, ma'am. And neither was your daughter. And she like hands him like a fat wad of like, en- uh, cash in an envelope well, here. Great shot as we see the envelope change hands and then kind of like focusing on Cece, like seeing it. 
yeah. seeing what her freedom will cost. Well, and just seeing that, like, okay, here's somebody who knows as well. You know, like, Wilden's now burned in her mind as, like, a witness now. Well, and here's, um, here's a secret, and here's a lie. So, what did Jessica tell Wilden? Just that she needed Charlotte out of here? Because, like, I, I guess I, the only way this makes sense to me is that she did not mention, by the way, my daughter, my other daughter is buried in the ground nearby. Because if that was the case, why was Wilden putting so much energy into, like, investigating the liars? Like, I, I don't think he would do that just, like, for show, I guess. I feel like he doesn't actually know that. Hmm. It's, uh, it's, it's interesting what some of Wilden's motives are. I don't. I don't feel like they're like plot holes, though. To me, it's Wilden was a jerk and an asshole. Maybe a little bit of an idiot. I mean, it's more potential for him to blackmail for sure. Right. Um, so Charlotte. I, would, I wonder if he, I wonder if he's you know like actually beach hottie too. I think he is. We'll get to that in just a bit. Okay. Uh, so Jessica comes back to her daughter here, and Charlotte says they're never going to let me out again. And Jessica's like, well, maybe that's for the best. And Charlotte says maybe Dad was right about me, and. Jessica says nothing, so Charlotte stands up. She comes over to her mom, and she says, I'll understand if you, you never want to see me again. And Jessica says, let's just give it some time. Like, you can tell she's she's trying to be very calm right now, but a lot of strong emotion under the surface for Jessica here. It's like, what, you know, one daughter just killed the other. She, she obviously doesn't really know how to, like, you know, Andrew process Parker's this. so good, yeah. Yeah, and so Charlotte gives her mom, like, a last desperate hug here. It's not really returned. Uh, Jessica just kind of stands there and then Charlotte goes and gets in the back of Wilden's car. Mm-hmm. Jessica's watching. She just looks dead inside now and we get the kind of angle inside the back seat. Charlotte's looking back as they drive off and feeling horrible as Jessica heads inside. Mm-hmm. So back to Radley. Cece says, uh, you know, I thought it'd take a long time for mom to forgive me. It never occurred to me that she never totally would. Cause I married or murdered her other daughter. Yeah, uh, so in the brain room. can't totally let that slide, yeah. The brain room, the liars are all watching this. Uh, then Spencer, Spencer kind of like whacks Mona on the arm. And she's like, hey, just be getting us out of here. And Mona's like, I am. She turns around and goes to work on the console. Um, it's like we kind of fade away from whatever Allison and Cece might be talking about there. Mona pulls up Cece's like stock portfolio. Oh, the like, the oh. Karasimi group portfolio, yeah. She's like, ah, Cece's the real wolf of Wall Street. She's never made a bad investment. Spencer's intrigued by some of Did this. Did you happen to see the portfolio value? What is it? 18.15 million. Holy shitballs. Yeah. That's uh, split between like stocks, bonds, and real estate. I think that there's, um, I have a prediction about the future based on that right there. But so Spencer's intrigued by some of this shit. She punches up a few buttons, pulls up Reese Matthews' profile. And she's like, oh my God, he's legit. Cece hired Reese as a decoy. He doesn't even know that he was a stooge. Just another red herring. So why was he in the De Laurentiis house? I feel like he was probably, like he actually did need to talk to Kenneth who he theoretically would be his boss because Jessica's dead. Like, well, that's who he would answer to. Like, if, maybe he started looking into stuff and got suspicious after Hannah returned the money. Maybe he thought that Kenneth was Mr. Karasimi, or mm-hmm. maybe, uh, uh, who was never actually directly referred to as Mr. Karasimi. Yeah. Um, or maybe he's just like, it turns out my business is super fucking shady. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm looking for some answers. Yeah. Uh, so that room in Radley, Cece continues. She's like... Uh, or she says, uh, no one found out I was in Rosewood that night. But the doctors at Riley knew I flew the coop, so they took away my out privileges. And I was alone again. And then the craziest girl showed up. She was awesome. I'd sneak into her room every night for story time. She was so 
drugged up at the beginning. She thought I was you. All right, before we get to uh, the wonderful Vander Jesus here, mm. one last potential plot uh, conflict here. So remember Cece's roommate who knew about Cece getting kicked out of UPenn and like the, the party and the girl down the stairs Those and all that? four lying she-devils. Yeah, Cece always said there were four other she-devils. So... You think she was Riley roommate? No, I mean, I guess, you know, timeline hijinks here. Maybe Cece really did live with her, but not until a little bit later. Mm. Um, you know, she could have been this girl's roommate after she got out of Radley. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe she just knew that, like, one of Allie's stories was about this frat party, so she used that. Mm. I don't know. I maybe mean, she was paid off. Yeah, a lot of explanations for that. Um, I mean, I'll see people online who still quote the creepy little kid from the doll hospital as if he's an mm-hmm. incredible source. I mean, I, I feel like there's a good chance Cece probably did live with this girl and this girl did like most of it was true. And Cece just like massaged the details because she couldn't say why she really got kicked out of UPenn. Right. Like Cece might have even been at that party because she had out privileges. Right. So she's going to UPenn. She's meeting Melissa Hastings. She's, you know, having to socialize somewhat. She had to have an explanation what for why she wasn't at UPenn. Maybe she used that. Right. Um, and, like, that. if I remember correctly, the roommate, like, hated Cece, but she remembered Cece's stories. I bet Cece had amazing fucking stories. Oh, yeah. Well, because Cece, like, basically, like, welched on the rent. Um, so, anyways, we're going to get another flashback. It's I want to hear uh, more about, again, like, the whole the whole group from the con game that Cece knows. Like, Eric Con <laughs> and... The guy who, like, it would be a shame if he died a virgin or whatever the hell that guy's story was. Yeah. The guy who, like, works in the uh, the admissions office, too. All these people. Anyway. So, flashback to the end of season two. There's Mona on her bed in, in, in rallies. The door opens. And a, someone in what we thought at the time was, like, a red coat walks up to her. And she's so out of She looks up to him. And she's like, I did everything you asked me to. We get the reverse of that. And we see that it's actually just Cece in a red robe. And she's like. Red bathrobe. Yeah. I'm proud of you. And Mona says, you are? And she's like, you're getting better. Just keep taking your meds. And she's like, I will, Allie. I promise. And Cece takes a seat. And she's like, tell me more about the girls. I need to know everything. So it's almost like Mona's adrenalized hyperreality, some sort of like transference to Charlotte here as a result of hearing about the A-game. Because uh, I know some complaints about like, uh, Charlotte's like justifications here for being a, mm-hmm. but I kind of wonder like, is Mona maybe unconsciously like grooming Charlotte to be her successor without even knowing it? Like Which Charlotte, like, Charlotte's Mona... willing to look into the abyss to find out more about her sister's friends, and like maybe the abyss looked into her. Well, it's like Mona, Cece's, I think, always been searching for something. There's always been some aspect of her that's been waiting to be born, and here comes Mona. With the perfect, mm-hmm. like, social engineering ontological terrorism game. That's, but like, just, the thing that Cece's been waiting her whole life for. But I just kind of wonder if just Mona telling her about that was subtly influencing Charlotte at the same time. You know, for like, drawing her know, in. For all we know, they sat in the commons room and watched that David Fincher movie together. Yeah. So, uh, kind of back to Radley here, Charlotte says, I was so bummed when they started weaning Mona off her meds. Hearing about what she did with those bitches was, like, the only thing I looked forward to. I mean, there's, like, so much, like, you don't even think about Because, like, the dollhouse and the aftermath of the dollhouse was, like, one of those times where you really got into the physical manifestation of abuse and trauma. 
and the way someone could be taken advantage of and how they process it. But it's like Mona was taken advantage of by CC here. Somewhat, yeah. I mean, um, she had just, yeah, yeah. So Ali says, so Mona did know it was you? And Charles says, I stopped visiting before she snapped out of her drug days. I could never trust Mona. She was Hannah's legit friend, and she ran her over with a car. Where's the loyalty in that? Oh, well. <laughs> LOL, that's why we love you, Mona. And then back in the lair, Mona kind of turns around to Hannah, very remorse- remorseful here, and she's like, I really am sorry. And Hannah says, I know. Oh, I'll hug it out. So this, from that emotional moment, CC continues, Mona wasn't ready to end the game. She was like Houdini getting out of places. So I made a deal with her. She helped me get out of Rally. I'd play the game with her. It was like Bethany said, leaving wasn't hard, but I needed Mona's help to stay gone. My first assignment was making friends in Rosewood. Cue super flashback. Also, some people pointed out, like, Mona originally said that she shared the game with A so that she could get out of Radley. So, you know, is this a contradiction? It sounds like what they're saying here is that Charlotte provided the escape route. Mona kind of set her up with, like, a whole new kind of identity and instructions to keep her out of Radley. So they kind of helped each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah well it's 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 nebulous because mona can't vouch for almost anything really not concretely mm-hmm. it's like jason doesn't really know who the hell that blonde girl was that was talking to melissa that night yeah so flashback to the first appearance of cc on the show it's at the brew she's Season at the counter crazy yeah s37 uh she cc's over at the counter aria emily and spencer are kind of nearby and cc's saying take it from me you're all better off the really good lie Liars turn around and he says, is it just me or did that sound a lot like? And they all say, Allison. And Cece looks back. She says, something wrong? And Ari says, oh, no, sorry. Wow, he just sounded a lot like one of her friends. Uh, they're really using a lot of footage from previous episodes in this one. I kind of yeah. wonder, like, did they run out of money or something? I don't know. Well, I, um, feel like, I feel like it's a nice sign that, like, a lot of this stuff was planned. Potentially, there's another shot here where you're going to say, no, they oh. didn't plan that. Yeah, what um, that shot. So Charlotte is saying, you know, I hope she's brilliant. What's her name? Ari says, Allison De Laurentiis. And of course, Charlotte recognizes this. And she says, you were friends of Allie's? Me too. I'm Cece. <laughs> and then we go back to Radley. And you can tell Charlotte's really enjoying telling this one. She says, I was doing my best Allie imitation ever. You should have seen the look on those girls' faces. Oh, it was worth a million bucks. It's it's an interesting an accurate boast, but I mm-hmm. feel like it's almost perhaps a little insulting to Allison. Is it? It's like I hear I was playing this like almost horrific character caricature of a person. I feel well, like Ali. You are Ali would appreciate that though. I don't know. Uh, um, Spencer back in the in the brew. She's saying, "So why did you move back to Rosewood?" And Cece says, "Listen, I hate to make tracks, but I'm already late. And my boss is high strung and aggressively sober. Come visit me at the new boutique across the street." And she turns to Ari and says, oh, and if you ever feel like doing a little free shopping, I'd be happy to turn the other way. And Ari's like, I, I think you're thinking of Hannah? She's not here. And she's like, like, well. well. She just nods and walks out. Uh, so outside, Charlotte kind of stops at the window. And it's like she's watching PLL through the window here as the liars are talking. Compositing here, not great. Um, the Because it's basically like, She's looking in the window and they've just like composited in like a, a shot from the, that old episode into the window here. It's very flattened. Yeah. It, it's very flat. Yeah. Um, doesn't, 
it looks like we're just watching TV that's in the window. I, I guess the hologram laser projector took all the money. It's it's not like it's so bad though that I can't watch the scene. I mean, the the whole thing is that Cece's listening and watching them through the window. Yeah. Point made. <laughs> so Charlotte watches this for a bit and then turns around. She's really kind of satisfied, hungry for more here. Uh, so we're gonna go back to the liars I'm watching. High, strong, and aggressively sober. <laughs> Sad to. Liars are watching all this. They're a little annoyed, and we hear Charlotte saying, "Mona told me those bitches were happy that you were gone." And that, oh, that really, really pissed me off. And she opens up a drawer and pulls out like some little, I believe these are Spencer and Aria dolls. Looks that way. Yeah. And Charlotte says, I mean, those girls were supposed to be your friends. And she throws the Aria doll down on the desk. Very angry. Maybe well, she just hates Aria. Yeah. Well, you can also see that on the, the desk there is some of the little wigs, like the little mm-hmm. pink striped black wig that is that went on Aria's tennis ball. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Where's the tennis ball? Charlotte says they got what they deserved. So how do we feel about this motive? <sighs> motive I is essentially those girls were happy Ollie was dead. And so Charlotte's going to fuck with them. I think that what she's saying is that maybe that was part of the mm-hmm. thing that kept her going at the beginnings of the game. And eventually she maybe saw through that and just enjoyed playing the game. Well, I guess I've always felt that the game was kind of like self-propelling, like, once you start, it, it takes it on a life of its own, and you can't really stop. And it's addictive. Uh, which but, is uh, why even even Mona's motivation was like extremely tenuous. But it's like once you start doing it, it's very addicting, and it's 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 like it's a roller coaster. You can't get off. You just have to keep doing it. Uh, but I do see, think this is another instance where another scene or two could have helped here. Like if we actually saw Charlotte doing some A things, so there's a little bit more of a connection. Because so far, I'm watching this, and I'm like, man. I feel really bad for Charlotte. I'm not really thinking in my mind that Charlotte's A right now. Right. You're not thinking of the trauma. Like the dollhouse. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, even before that, too. Like, you know, poor Ashley Marin being on trial <laughs> for murder. Yeah. But, Sending Allie to jail. Yeah. I mean, but we, you know, we were, we've always been talking about how it seems pretty clear to us that A is enjoying playing with the dolls. Mm-hmm. You know, not not uh well, this not is, killing them per se you know this is one of the things to, to bring up the transgender thing again i feel like the doll thing it i i think what it, they're trying to communicate there is it's kind of an attachment to childhood but it's very easy to read that as some sort of like femininity thing mm-hmm. which is where it gets kind of like that's where it's like they're they're communicating that like the, the being transgender is somehow like related to her being a and that's I don't think that's what they want, but I could I could see how people would read it that way. Mm, yeah. So where were we here? Um, so we go back to the lair. Mona turns around to the liars again. She's having to do this a lot in this episode, kind of explaining herself. Well, because Mona's really going through a journey of her own. Yeah. Like seeing somebody who not only like took this game from her, but is reflecting. It's like it's a very like dark mirror that Mona's looking in in her own way here. Yeah, she's seen another A. And she uh, says, uh, I don't remember telling Cece about you, but somebody at Rally did start sending me riddles and twisted rhymes, and it got me really excited about playing the game again. And they go back to, like, watching this amazing TV show. But I just wanted Ari to, like, kind of lean over and whisper in her ear, like, hey, fuck you. <laughs> Charlotte says, I kept seeing this blonde in a red coat uh, watching the girls, and I first I thought I lost it. I mean, I watched Mom bury you. I knew if you were alive, you'd show up if the girls were in trouble. 
I, I think that this point will become interesting for, for something later in this episode where people call a plot hole. But yeah, so flashback to the Night also, of the Watchfire. We knew Allie was Redcoat for some of the time, at least. Mm-hmm. And it, it we kind of all figured that Allie was like watching the liars. Mm-hmm. Um, if Mona was A, then she knew Mona was not her attacker after Mona went to Radley. So then it's like she needed to watch the liars to protect them, but also to maybe figure out if one of them was the one who attacked her. Right. Um, so, yeah, flashback to the lodge at Thornhill, season three finale. The uh, plane has landed. Yeah, there's the plane. There's Redcoat walking away from it. CC's voiceover says, uh, they all thought you were flying the plane that night, but I sent a decoy to distract them. So we see Spencer's watching this and she's like, Allie? Oh, Shot yeah. Us- we just get all the shots of Spencer skulking around, Redcoat walking through the woods. There's fog, um, it's night, there's woods. We eventually see there's like there's a black hoodie here as well, uh, and red coat tromping around. Spencer's trying to follow. Because I mean, seriously, everybody's in the woods on this night, apparently. Yeah. Eventually so, Black Hoodie walks up behind Red Coat. Mm-hmm. Red Coat turns around, and Red Coat's wearing that alley mask. And we see Black Hoodie is, is Charlotte, obviously. Mm-hmm. Red Coat takes off the mask, and it's shower fucking Harvey. Dramatic music. And then Sarah says, Mona thinks she's about to see you. She doesn't have a clue. Apparently everybody else but me hated this. I loved it. For every scene that Sarah has after this one, after every line she says, I want her to look at the camera and wink. She doesn't have a clue. Wink. All I'm saying is, y'all are going to have to get a seat behind me on the Sarah Harvey bandwagon because I'm driving it. (laughs) <laughs> oh i'm so excited about her presence in the, in the oh everyone's so ex- upset because it's like they only really introduced her this season kind of how, how we... dare she be this pivotal character but i kind of feel like it wasn't until this season that the writers decided that red coat was somebody other than cc mm-hmm. so you know what are you gonna do like i think people like really like the idea of like this out of left field like red coat identity but that's not what they got can we talk about I Am Marley King's tweet? Uh, not yet. Okay. So, back at Radley, uh, Allison's like, Sarah Allison's Harvey? speaking for the rest of the fans. Sarah Harvey was the other red coat? And she's like, what I needed her to be. And I want Allison to be like, honestly, I didn't think she had it in her. <laughs> and it's like, what? And Emily's like, no way. She's lying. And Ari says, what? You really had no idea, Emily? Yeah. Yeah, it hurts, doesn't it? So... As we're going to see, we get nothing of Sarah Harvey's like true backstory and motives here. Like, was it a Stockholm Syndrome thing? Was it something else? I, I really can't wait for more Shower Harvey in 6B. This is like one of the, the big mysteries of 6B is what's up with Sarah. Uh, so Charlotte's saying, and that night, she's supposed to keep Mona busy while I trapped the girls. Oh, it was a perfect plan. Then Shauna showed up, and all hell broke loose. So then it really makes you wonder, like, in Season 3 and Season 4... How much of it was Shauna's A? I, mean, I think the writers have really set themselves up conveniently here to avoid potential like plot conflicts because you had That's Mona, Shana. Toby, yeah, Sarah yeah. Harvey, Charlotte, Shauna, maybe even Lucas. Or, um, like Noel Khan. Maybe Noel Khan, and maybe this theoretical other dark force that may still be with us in 6B and Season 7. So... There's lots of different people they can blame on various things. Not to mention Wilden and Melissa as like the Queens of Hearts on the ghost train. Mm. So there you go. Well, and I feel like they're not, there's not so many moments like, uh, uh, obviously like the, the Emily's massage was problematic. Mm-hmm. 
And it's like, so that you obviously had to come in and be like, well, obviously Mona didn't do that. That was Lucas. Yeah. You know, but it's like, there's not a lot of those moments really where it's like, well, but, but, but I don't know who did that. And it's like, it was Sean. It could be anybody, you know, well, I think a it could be anybody. That's, that's the beauty of a, in a lot of these cases. I think I'm Arlen King mentioned that, uh, CC here is the one who like drilled Hannah's teeth. And if that's the case in that particular episode, that would suggest that Shauna was the one harassing Emily at school. Hmm. Um, but I mean, I basically, I feel like you, you watch seasons three and four now and it's like, you can kind of fill in if there's a, a conflict, like maybe it was Shauna basically. Right. Um, you know, a plot hole is just an opening for head cannon. Uh, so cut to the liars, uh, in at the, the lodge at Thornhill. They're coughing as they wake up from all the smoke inhalation. And we see from the tree line, Charlotte's there in her black hoodie. She's watching all this. Um, it's funny. I think we talked in the past about how A was using the liars to draw Allie out. And that's exactly what she's doing. Yeah. Uh, Mona comes over and she's like, did anyone see her? And we says, see who? And Mona says, Allison, she pulled me out of there. She pulled us all out. And Charlotte's hearing all this, and it's like now she she knows the truth for the first time that Allie's alive. Uh, Arya had my curiosity. Now you got my attention. Yeah, Arya says, "No, you're hallucinating." Mona says, "She was here. I swear it." And Lee says, "Allie's dead." And Hannah's like, "No, you know, I saw her too." And Spence runs up. She says, "So did I." And Charlotte, like, she closes her eyes. It's like she's happy. She's crying. I hear her voice over. Yeah, yeah. I knew I wasn't crazy. You really were alive. Uh, back at Radley, Allie is kind of dubious. She says, if you really cared about me, why did you keep playing the game? And Charlotte says, when your friends thought they killed A in New York, it was the perfect time to end it. I left the country thinking it was over. So we flashback to that scene from Escape in New York where Cece's dressed as Audrey Hepburn, dressed as Carmen Sandiego. Dressed as Vivian Darkloom. Yeah, about to get on the plane, speaking French, uh, looking happy like she has this big adventure ahead of her. And this is back in Radley, Cece says, but the game... It's like a drug, and I was really good at playing it, mm-hmm. and it felt great to succeed at something. And I love how twisted and accurate that is, because you know, say what you will about A, and we have said this. I don't know how many of you, you could put in a supercut where we're like, "Damn A, mm-hmm. I'm really impressed. You're really good at this." Yeah, um, Allie's Allie's getting a little pissed now. Yeah, she stands up. She says, "You attacked me in my own living room," and Charlotte stands out. She says, "You were gonna leave, and I couldn't lose you again. I had to make it seem real so you'd pay attention." I'm not a bad person, Allie. I'm just too romantic. She uh, attacked her and almost. <laughs> it went for the end. Well, so that she makes sense. Shot remake of that scene from uh, Dial in for Murder, which yeah. I bring up only because it was Hitchcock's birthday yesterday. Okay. Uh, so we, we, we always knew A didn't want Allie to leave town, and now we know why. It's like Charlotte had lured Allie home, and then she wanted to keep her around. Mm-hmm. Um, so Allie says, you almost froze Arya and Spencer to death. Team Sparia, goddammit. And Charles just like, almost. <laughs> LOL. And Allie's like, you drove a car through Emily's house. And Charles like, yeah. And I almost cut her in half, too. But is she hurt? No. Is her mommy hurt? No. I only got mad when you did. Or, I'm sorry. I only get mad when you didn't listen. And Allie says, you can't steal people's, people from their families and lock them up and play with them like they're your toys. And then uh, Charlotte turns here and she looks right into the camera, dressing the liars directly. And she says, yes, I can. And I did. And they all kind of like back away. The liars do back in the brain room. They're freaked out. And just the blue eyes of Charlotte here, very striking, like malevolent. I, I think- just want to point out that in addition to my notes, I've had that image staring at me mm-hmm. this whole podcast. There you go. 
Well, I think this the episode could have used a bit more of this. Like this yeah. side of Charlotte here. Yeah. Um, seeing her do something like maybe if we saw her attack Mona, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the kidnapping, the fake death, like just and seeing her doing that would have, I think, helped make the connection a little bit better about kind of these two sides of her personality. Right, right. Um, or, you know, to avoid kind of, you know, the, the usual unfortunate tropes, if they could have found a way for Charlotte to, to not be the bad guy, that would have been nice, too. Like, if, if Charlotte was, like, doing it, it this whole time to protect against, like, the real A or something. Well, in, in, in like, general, too. If she time... could have been the hero, that would have been nice. Right, right. And there may still be time. Who knows what the future of the show is. But, yeah. you know, like, again, because A's had no voice. It's just been this, like, dark void, this shape. And in addition, like, because, like, the way the TV works, like, it's been, like, stunt people playing her mm-hmm. too so it's it's weird when you have an actor come in and be like all of that was me you know like when they they tell Janelle Parrish play it like you play this scene and she was like I wasn't there I would I didn't play that I didn't even know I was this character then it's, well, I think it's, it's a I, weird connect yeah I think so much of this season has been structured around the idea that they had to wait for the season finale to reveal who a was because that's what TV networks want. Um, right. You know, I mean, there's there's this kind of like new idea among like the TV vloggerati that like the new like hot shit and like, you know, serious television is it's it's not just about twists anymore. It's about timing. Like if you really want to keep people on on, you know, off kilter. You do your big episode and like episode four of the season or something, you know, like you throw off the timing and really make them, you know, not comfortable ever about like when the big plot change is going to happen. I don't know how well, I mean, obviously the ratings for this episode are huge. It's like the highest ratings in two years. So I'm sure ABC family is just like, well, you know, don't tell us. We don't know what we're doing. But I do wonder if they didn't have to save this all up for the last minute. And they, and they really did because it's like a, you give one clue away and it pulls the whole thread apart. You know, right. like there's a reason they had to wait this long to reveal it. Well, and, and if Kenneth had told Allison and Jason more about, mm-hmm why like charles was such a bad kid in his eyes he, he would have immediately up, known yeah he only tells the version of the story that that vilifies his mm. son but it's like if he had been like the boy always wanted to dress up like a girl it's like you would have guessed at something a yeah lot even if he could have just done like episodes nine and ten like a big two-parter reveal like something to allow a little more room for the story to breathe because they're packing a lot into this episode yeah. And and they're they're really asking you to be like, by the way, here's a character who's transgender. They're also a villain, but those two aren't related. You know? Right. Uh so where were we here? I mean Char- it's I, I buy that, but I, I fully understand that there's a lot of people who don't. Mm-hmm. And and well, I don't think it's so reason. much that they don't, it's just they feel like the show didn't get a, did do a good job of communicating right. that. Right. Um so Charlotte She's still staring right in the camera and she says, I know you won't believe me, but I love all my dolls. That's why you're still alive. <laughs> and Spencer, Ari, and Mona all like cross her arms or shivering. And Hannah's kind of holding on to Emily here. And Charlotte says, I would never let anything really bad happen to them. It sucks to kill someone, even when they deserve it. <laughs> and Allie says, are you talking about Wilden? And Charlotte says, he found out you were alive. Flashback. Wilden's funeral. Everyone's walking out of the chapel. Charlotte in voiceover is saying, Wilden was never going to let you come back and tell your story. So what does this mean? I, 
Well, I mean, it, it, it really adds an interesting element to when, like, Hannah saw Wilden grab Cece and throw her in the car. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of, was it season three? Yeah, it had to be in season three. Yeah, um, this is um, one of those episodes. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Hot water, maybe. So when he came back from, like, you know, being hit with the car. Mm-hmm. So it's starts season four. We see Liars actually in the Wilden's funeral. Well, so, no, church. I want to break this down, though. Like, okay. There's a couple suggestions here. You know, Wilden was never going to let you come back and tell your story. Is this related to just like maybe he knew Allie was like well, buried think, in the ground the whole time? Or Allison's, Allison's resurrection just unravels a whole chain of that night that leads back to him being a shady cop, which leads back to Bradley. I mean, the fact that Spencer has been kind of thumbing around the edges of Wilden's history as a corrupt mm-hmm. cop. Well, there's, be it from Toby there's to, another angle here, though. Okay. And that angle is Beach Hottie. And the the suggestion that Allie thought she was pregnant from some older guy she was dating. If that's tied in, you know, because that, that was what we were told by CC in the past was that right. Wilden was worried that he got Allie pregnant. So, is I mean, was that all misdirection or was that actually, like, did that actually go down? And that's why Wilden doesn't want Allie to come back. He knows Allie's alive. He does not want Allie to come back and tell her story. That's entirely possible. Too. I mean, and, and for all we know, Jessica might have, unbeknownst to her, unbeknownst about that, said, this daughter killed that daughter. Mm-hmm. Then Wilden's like, did she now? Mm-hmm. Fantastic. True. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we see all the liars walking out. Emily's kind of looking off, frowning. And she's like, who is that? I love that Emily is the one. that They use mm-hmm. the clip of Emily being like, who is the Black Widow, guys? I love that now. <laughs> who indeed? Who is... This Black Widow, Black Veil character getting into a town car. Because then we're going to cut inside the town car. And we see inside, uh, the Black Widow sits down. Charlotte's next to her in the, the hoodie. So Charlotte is not the Black Widow. Who could the Black Widow be? And Charlotte says, you saw the body, right? And Black Widow raises her veil. And it's shower fucking Harvey again. Boom. She's got the dark haired wig on. And Charlotte says, tell me you can never hurt my sister again. And Sarah says, Will's dead. And she just kind of sneers and they both look forward smiling. I love so, her, her villainous sneer. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love I love Sarah. So, so, so people are like, well, this means that Cece obviously didn't kill Will. I don't think that's the case. Remember, Cece has dealt with the, the guilt and well, the shame of thinking that she killed her own sister only to find that challenged. Also, I'm Arlene King came out and said Cece killed Wilton. So yeah, yeah. there's that. But, but, so, but I, that that line Charlotte is saying, tell me he can never hurt my sister again, suggests that she thinks he has hurt her in the past, which to me gives a lot of credence to the idea that like maybe there actually was something kind of gross and inappropriate between him and Allie at Cape May. Quite possibly. Hmm. Quite possibly. But yeah, um, I fully understand in a town like Rosewood where you have Schrodinger's like dead blonde girls, mm-hmm. like maybe if you do murder somebody, you might want some independent confirmation. I think that's the one of the morals of the story is that like know who you're whacking over the, the back of the head, you know, the blonde girl you're killing and then like check to make sure they're dead Like really find out. Yo, when you're killing somebody, kill the right person and make sure you did it right the first time. Don't have to kill them again. Mm-hmm. Well, I got to say, Charlotte, like you're trying to keep an eye on your sister and whatnot. Like Lorenzo, like you couldn't have thrown him down a well or something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, also that was like nothing but problems for you. Like he was kind of a douche. He's also a cop. Like that's no good. 
Charlotte's also a super hacker. Like, didn't mm-hmm. she see Lorenzo's Instagram pictures? That's a good point. She'd be like, bad news. Or, I'm sorry, a uh, square generic photo social media page. Online square photo page. So, Cece's talking out of the TV again, and she's like, sorry, Emily, but not really. Dramatic push on Emily. He's like, oh my god! You really more, didn't know Emily? What do I have to say, in this angle particularly, this is not a flattering dress for Emily. I do not like her dress. You don't think so? I dig it. Oh, by the way, she also took her crown off now. Yeah. Um, so, thoughts on Black Widow slash Sarah slash Redcoat? Uh, just when I thought I couldn't love her anymore, I do. I just, the only thing that would have been better is if she had vampire teeth. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know. Shower of blood. It always, like, it, it was suggested back in the early season five that Redcoat was also Black Widow. We kind of, we saw the burned, uh, alley mask underneath the, the, the veil. And so that, to me, that really strongly communicated that, like, they're the same person. Actually, I think it was season four. Um, so it's not like a huge surprise now that Black Widow and Redcoat are the same person. I think there was like some fan art that came out recently. I'm yeah. sure you saw it where it was like, three like three people, like Black, Black Veil, Redcoat, oh. and A, like three and different people. And I think that got everyone really excited. There were like three different villains. And my problem was like, you guys, Black Widow is A, mm-hmm. but really it's Redcoat is Black Widow. Yeah. Uh, which is Sarah Harvey, and I really so, do think that when they when they first introduced the concept of Sarah Harvey, I never thought she was going to be a returning character, and I don't think Marlene thought that either because you could tell in interviews, like people would ask her about it, and she's like, "Oh, I don't know, maybe we haven't seen the last of Sarah Harvey." Like at the same time, pe- people were like back then they were like, "Have we seen Black Widow like unmasked in season four? And she said, "Yes, you have seen Black Widow's face in season four, which makes me think that they have a different idea for Black Widow at one point. Could be. Well, and I, I think I kind of feel like people kept bugging her about Sarah Harvey so much that she she they created her. So Could the fans also. only have themselves to blame for Sarah Harvey. But again, a reminder: you did see the generic stock photo girl on the website page for Sarah Harvey. I don't think that really pleases people. Um, so after the commercial, liars have had enough, and Hannah's like, "Okay, shut it off." Uh, Mona kills the video feed. Oh, like, so do like, you do you think Sarah Harvey like like took the photograph, went down to the local Kinkos, and was like, "Turn this into a painting for me. It's for a friend. Exactly. I'm their ally." Yeah. So uh, we have shower heads here. Okay. A little whooshy sound as the video cuts off, and Arya says, we all saw Sarah when they brought her out of the dollhouse. Are we supposed to think that that was an act? Like, well, yeah. And Hannah says, Em, Cece's messing with you. She knows we're watching. She's still playing us. And Spencer says, that's why Tanner's not here. Sarah never called the cops. And I was, yes. That's a good mirror of the, uh, you know, 225. Like, you didn't call Hannah, did you? Same situation there. Yeah. Person who doesn't make the call. They're the, they're I, I the wanted, one. like, wanted a high fiver. Mm-hmm. Emily hey, says, hey, I have to get out of here. And she runs over and starts pounding on, like, the sliding panel they came in by once out of this place. And Hannah runs over. She's like, Emily, what are you doing? You're going to hurt yourself. And she's comforting Emily. And Emily's crying. And this is another moment, I think, not to be repetitive. This moment needed to breathe, too. Like, Shane Mitchell's doing some good work here. And we get, like, one second of it in the background. Yeah. Like, she's really, like, She's breaking down. She's like betrayed again, you know, like the one person she thought she could trust, like her her personal coping mechanism for 
the trauma of the dollhouse has now been revealed to be a fraud. Well, and, and it's like, spend, hey, there she is crying in the background and back to this. I mean, it's nice to have a butter benzo moment there. But yeah, they did spend nine episodes building that up for her. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't think even not that it was the same thing, but I don't think like Talia got nine episodes. <laughs> no. Well, I just I just think that like you just need to let breathe a little more. Uh, so, but anyway, I, think, I am comforted by the fact that I think we're gonna. It's not like the Sarah Harvey story. Oh no, it's potentially over. Um, yeah. So Arya like needs to take charge here. And she turns to Simone. And she's like, "Get us the hell out of here!" Simone's like pushing buttons. Beep, boop, 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 boop. And she's like, "There's no way to open this door." So Arya turns to Spencer because you know Mona's failed her. Spence, Spencer's already on this problem in the most amazing Spencer fashion. She's looking around. She's like, "A always has an escape plan." And she's like looking at the blinking lights displays, and she's like, "Hey." One of these is not like the others, and she points out one. Well, so, briefly, if Aeolus has an escape plan, is it possible that Charlotte is A's escape plan? Like, who were those dudes packing up earlier? Well, and so, yeah, my, my initial thought was maybe these dudes for some reason are bringing the barrels to rally, but then I thought, that's ridiculous, because they can just be there already. It's like, to me, that's like time jump stuff right there. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely, there's maybe charlotte's involved maybe she isn't but there's something more I, than, I, than what we were getting in this episode i would have actually loved if the guys in the utility jumpsuits were played by the writers like like, <laughs> the, like brian holman and kyle bowen are just like just packing away some storyline yeah <laughs> gonna bring this back don't worry don't mind these red herrings we'll be back later uh so spencer she points at like this one section of like the light panels on the wall and she says the lights they aren't randomly blinking like on that one it's a constant pattern she points it out, and Mona reaches down, and she takes off one of her, like, five-inch silver heels here. And Arya's like, are you making yourself comfortable? And Mona holds up the shoe, and then she yanks off the silver heel to reveal that underneath is, like, a pointed metal stiletto just, like, under, hiding there. Under her stiletto is a stiletto, yeah. Mm-hmm. Arya's like, whoa, and we're all, like, sploosh. This is one of my favorite moments in the episode. Mona never thought being the best. And Mona says, getting you out of here. And Mona's like, Arya's like, whoa. And Mona says, stand back. She goes over to this glass panel and she just uses her sh- like shoe knife to like smash it. I mean, really, probably didn't need to take the heel off for that, but sure. Yeah. Uh, glass shatters and there's like a panel of electronics behind it that she just slides aside and there's the exit. It's like a bunch of like, like through like a server room or something. Yeah. yeah. And Spencer's like, let's go. Come on. So they all file out. Mona hangs back and Hannah notices and she's like, Mona? And Mona says, I have to know how the story ends, Hannah. Be careful. OTP moment. And it says, we will. So the liar's gone. Mona stays. Some nice imagery here. We kind of get like kind of a wider shot of this like brain room. Arya's snow white, like red bow is on the table along with Emily's like evil queen black crown. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on the floor is one of uh, Mona's shoes there, the silver shoe. It's very kind of fairy tale evocative here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Mona, she drops the red cloak filing. We see she just has like a sleeveless red, red dress on underneath. Well, she hits a few buttons, resuming the program. Um, I love that they leave Mona here. Because Mona, you know, this whole process has been her kind of reclaiming some of her own story. Mm-hmm. Plus, she has, to, she has to just have this information. Like we said, like we love it when Mona just drops in and tells liars all the things that they're missing. Um, I also like to think that maybe Mona is, you know, when she's done with all this stuff, She's just going to go back into Charlotte's uh, bank account there and just transfer all the funds to like Monocore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's that's time drop. Mona's like Mona's Lex Luthor. Um, also, one of these days, Mona is just going to produce like a shotgun from her cloak. <laughs> Stand back. Oh, Mona has strong potential for like the the Ben Linus like shotgun under the piano seat. 
Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to go back to Radley. Charlotte's winding up the story. She says, before I saw you in New York, I snuck home to say goodbye to mom. And when I got there, she kind of her voice wavers. She says, when I got there, she flashback uh, to Jessica De Laurentiis lying on the ground in front of the De Laurentiis house. Kind of get this nice angle looking through the bushes. As we see uh, Charlotte in the black hoodie walk over to Jessica just lying there. Uh, and Charlotte, I'm not going to act all this dialogue out. She's basically like, Mom, Mom, Mommy, you know, kind of shaking her. Uh, Jessica's not reacting because she's dead. Uh, and Charlotte's just like, Mom, Mommy, no, 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 no. And she's, you know, she's breaking down. She's holding Jessica tight, like crying into her hair. And she's just screaming, no, you know, come on, Mommy, you can't leave me. You can't leave me. Oh, it's, uh, it's utterly heartbreaking. I mean, I mean yeah, you, great, great acting. I'm uh, not going to even attempt to to match here. If you weren't sympathetic to this character before, you have to be here now. This is the thing we're talking about—the kind of almost cognitive dissonance of it. Like, I if I didn't before, I totally felt for Charlotte right here. I I, I was totally sympathized for well, her. As she, but afterwards, she not only then goes and buries Jessica D, which is symbolic. She then takes pictures <laughs> for future evil snapchats yeah. well and as as we come back to radley and charlotte's crying on the bed and she she tells us what we're thinking here she says mom was the only person who ever really loved me mm -hmm. you know and so we're watching her like heartbreak as she loses this person and yeah it's kind of like oh, you're also a like this is weird you um, also used her as a weapon against your sister mm -hmm. but ali's standing up now she's holding a framed photo although we never see what it is i think it's supposed to be of jessica though yeah i think so yeah. um then an alarm starts blaring uh they're both startled and charlotte doesn't seem to really know what's going on either they're both kind of confused uh we cut to another part of radley and we see the liars have made their kind of usual wrecking ball entrance here they're setting off alarms they're screaming for ali well and real quick too like we're we should talk about like Allison came back to town and her mom was gone. She came mm -hmm. back to town with so many questions and finally the like, opportunity to ask her. Just missed her. Yeah. Yeah, just missed her. And she's gaining a sister here and everything that goes with that, but she's losing her mom yet again because this is a this is a whole other life to Jessica that Allison knew nothing about. Also, by the way, Charlotte did not kill Jessica. Right. As predicted long ago by yours truly. Yeah. Uh Charlotte buried the body. Because she found it, she did not kill Jessica. So who did kill Jessica? That is another mystery. I hope we're you're not have. referring to me. Well, you fucking are. Um, so that's another mystery going forward. So anyway, the the liars are running to Radley. Arya screaming, "Allie!" And Emily says, "Allie, where?" And they they round the corner, and she stops short. This redcoat is at the other end of the hall, next to those like barrels with the bomb there. And uh, redcoat turns around. It's, it's Sarah Harvey. It's really her. No mistaking. Get no out lying. Of here now. All of you, yeah. <laughs> Someone tweeted at me that Sarah looks like a shrieking pterodactyl when she screams. That is oh, really? so true. Yeah. I, I almost, like, the only thing you can make it better would be vampire teeth if she hissed when yeah. she talked. Get out of here, all of you, now. And yeah. she spits venom. Oh, uh, yeah, so she hits a button, activating the bomb. It's like she arms it, yeah. It beeping, alarm blaring. Uh, in the, the Radley room, Cece's sitting on the bed, Allison's standing. There's a control with, like, a giant red 
button over by the dollhouse. It's like this and like they, metal like detonator cylinder thing. Yeah. Well, they do that thing where they both look at it and they're looking at each other, like knowing that in a second they're both going to be racing to grab it first, and they do. And Cece gets it at first, of course. She flicks up the little like you know glass cover thing, and she's getting ready to punch the big red button. Yet another big red button. And Allison has no idea what it is. I love, but she has to know it can't be good. And she's mm-hmm. just like, I'm begging you, Cece, please don't do this. So Cece kind of stays. Well, that, that I think is a very key uh, detail there. She calls her Cece. Yeah. And we're going to follow that up in a couple scenes because she calls her Cece here and Charlotte closes her eyes and she hits a switch. Allie kind of ducks and yelps, covers her head, but nothing but happens. All that. Yeah. And Charlotte's like, damn it. She doesn't seem super angry, just kind of confused and like, huh, oh well. Great, great comedic timing. Well, it's like well, she's she's already kind of like mentally gone there and so now it's, I don't know, it's like she has nothing left. Uh, well, it's, it's so wonderful because for half a second there after she hits the button and the alarm stops, you're thinking, oh, the button stops stops it. Mm-hmm. And then you realize, no, it doesn't. No, because we're going to cut to Spencer disarming the bomb. Yes. Uh, that's why the, the detonator didn't go off. The other liars have Sarah Harvey cornered. The liar wall is holding Sarah in custody. Spencer pulls out like a last cable and the bomb, like all the lights go off completely. Officer Hannah says, don't even think about it. So I'm, I'm sure that Spencer like YouTube this. Um, this is just, like I said, another moment could have used a little bit more time to like, like the, the, you know, the bombs counting down or something. And like Spencer's got her phone out and she's like website paging how to disarm bombs. I mean, that would have just been awesome. I feel like, I know we had asked Troy and like, what do you think is in, uh, <laughs> Spencer's mm. like internet search history? How to I disarm feel, a bomb. I feel like this was just like a, like a bored Saturday night mm-hmm. Google search thing. <laughs> she had done this like months ago. just then Allie runs around from another hallway and she says she's headed to the roof please help me and Sarah Harvey takes this moment to try to run off but Emily grabs her by the back of the coat to stop her and she's like hey I try to keep you safe and Emily just like decks this bitch in the face bitch goes down Uh, a thousand celebration gifts are born a lot of people really appreciated seeing Sarah Harvey get decked in the face I mean I can't. I can't say I didn't appreciate it, but still, I I can't wait to see more of Shower and Six B. Yeah, yeah, big fan. Uh, so then we're gonna cut to kind of catching up to where we're at the start of the episode. Cops rolling up, Barry on the radio. We have a visual sus- visual of the suspect on the roof. Cops with guns up on the roof. Charlotte holds out her hand. She's ready to jump. And liars are all like, "No!" And then Allie says, "Charlotte, please don't do this." Yep. And I think that's that's, that's the clincher. She calls her Charlotte. And that's what stops her from jumping. Uh, Charlotte does jump, but just back down off the ledge onto the roof. Mm-hmm. And she takes the hoodie and the mask off. They kind of defeat it, and she says, game over. And Allie is relieved. See, maybe maybe Charlotte's a little relieved, too. Everyone's this, very emotionally drained. This is another one of those moments where I would have liked for it to breathe a little more. Mm-hmm. Like the stuff right after. I mean, because yeah. these last three scenes are all, like... There's scenes that you absolutely have to have, but it's like there. Well, there is a little bit of a feeling of like, oh shit, we only have seven minutes left. Yeah, uh, you know. Yeah, and you're like, you know that there's gonna be a time jump scene here. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like an extra half an hour alone, or even fifteen minutes would have been so beneficial to this episode. So we pan over suburban Rosewood. I believe this shot was used in the pilot as stock footage, right? Yeah, it's some some old school stock footage of Rosewood here. Uh, it's been a long card. time since we've seen these kind of shots. Like even just any stock 
you know, like kind of aerial shots. Well, it's been a while since we saw that uh, that shot of Rosewood at the train. Mm. The one shot, yeah. Yeah. So title card, Labor Day weekend. Nice. Back mm-hmm. to Labor Day weekend. We see the liars are all parked in front of Allison's house. And he's like loading her trunk. And Hannah's like, wow, you bring enough flip-flops, Em? And Ellie's like, no. Well, this yeah. is this is where the feels kick in. Yeah. yeah. Emily's apparently going to Malibu. She sets the trunk of her car and they laugh. We see there's a bumper sticker for Pepperdine University on the back of her Toyota. So that's where Emily's going. Um, it's a little bit weird that Emily would be going to a private Christian college, but this is where my I'm Arlen King went. So I, I think that explains it, basically. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's interesting. Um, I mean, it's Malibu, but yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know. Journalism school there. Eh, Stanford's a little bit of a drive, but not that far. So Spencer's like talking to Arya's little braid on one side of her hair. Also, Arya has crazy Arya earrings. They're like a total oh, hieroglyphics. We've got outfits to talk about. Arya has like this weird. It's like a white dress that has like a little like, like I don't know, um, like torso window. I mean, I'm trying to even think of like the body part she's revealing there. You know, <laughs> it's like just a little torso window and like you know like above the belly button. Uh, it's a white dress with like big like green palm fronds printed on it, Take and yeah, like gig- gigantic weird earring things happening. Yeah. Uh, uh, Spencer, I think, is the other one worth talking about. She has like kind of a jersey T-shirt with like a weird like white overall like jumper over it with only one strap. It's such a like I'm like 13 years old type of outfit. It's really bizarre. Yeah, little little ostrich going on yeah. there. Yeah. I mean, uh, Hannah's just fashionable as always, of course. It's not going to attempt the not quite a southerner accent. Spencer says, uh, okay, well, you better not come back from Santa talk, Savannah talking like a southerner, you hear? And Arya's like, hey, you better not come back from Georgetown talking like a politician. And Spencer's like, yeah. So Arya's going to SCAD. Spencer's going to Georgetown. She's not going to Oxford. Drunkate was wrong. Fuck you, yeah. Drunkate. Yeah. Uh, so they're all they're well, laughing. it makes sense. I mean, that interview didn't go great. Yeah. Yeah, really. Uh, Allie's laughing, and Emily says, I uh, heard that Sarah got released from the hospital today. Mood killer. Liar's <laughs> all a little sad, and Allie says, what happened to Sarah that night wasn't our fault. Intriguing. What, what did happen? Her broken jaw? Spencer says, I doubt that's how she sees it. Yes. And they all kind of take a moment, and Ari's like, you guys, I can't believe we're all actually leaving. And they kind of chuckle, uh, but, you know, it's kind of it's time to go. I mean, this scene is really like, the ice cream part of the meal, you know, even if you hated the other stuff, I feel like you can't not like this scene right here. This is, these are the sprinkles. Look at yeah. Ari's outfit. This is the sprinkles right here. And Hannah says, well, saying goodbye is a lot harder than I thought it would be. And Ari and Allie hug. And Spencer says, how lucky am I to have something that makes saying goodbye so hard? Mm-hmm. Now, I believe this is a Winnie the Pooh reference because you shouted this out when she said it during yeah, the episode. Yeah. And then Emily says what brilliant scholars said that and spencer <laughs> says winnie the pooh and she laughs they're winnie all the always fascinated just because a.a milne's you know wrote it for christopher robin uh his son and people are always talking about how supposedly <laughs> the characters uh show off different uh, uh potentially disorders hmm, or personality defects or types um i always thought that was interesting and something so innocent and you know, beloved by children. But I would love that, like, Spencer would, would gravitate towards that and she would quote it. Plus, I mean, this quote's been, like, you know, all over like, places like Pinterest. Yeah. 
Oh, well, that explains it. I don't go. Well, to who's Pinterest. who's the who's the Eeyore and who's the Piglet of the liars of this group? Yeah, who's the Tigger? Spencer's the Tigger. Uh, yes, yeah, for sure. As Allison, who's the rabbit? Was uh, it I of the know. rabbit? I, 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 my brain is mush right now to even like <laughs> think about that. This is a fucking three hour podcast. Um, I'm just trying to think Eeyore. I mean, probably Emily. I don't know. Ooh, yeah. 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 I don't know. Um, so they're all laughing at this and it's, it's happy, but it's weepy at the same time, you know, Emily it's and Ali are kind of leaning into each other. Hashtag Emerson. Uh, Aria, Spencer and Hannah do like a group hug. There's tears welling. Uh, Allie's holding Emily's hand. And Emily says, you going to be okay? And Allie says, yeah. I spent my whole life dreaming about getting away from here. But right now, this is the only place I want to be. Uh, Emily says, love you. And Allie says, love you too. Not mentioned here. Um, just throw this in from I'm Arlene Kings that the, one of the reasons Allie stayed was to take care of Charlotte. Yeah. Presumably Charlotte's her... in like Supermax, but. Um, right. They give her the the family that she's, you know, always never had. Yeah. yeah. And Allie goes to Hollis. Uh, so Emily and Allie are hugging. Everybody's hugging, saying they love each other. Very nice scene. Bye Hannah bye, hugs, Hannah Banana. Yeah, Hannah hugs Spencer, and Spencer says bye bye, Hannah Banana. Which I believe I read that this is actually what Troyan calls Ashley Benson on the set, <laughs> uh, which is very sweet. Um, they're kind of just like rocking back and forth in each other's arms, and Allie's hugging Spencer now. And Allie says bye, have fun. Spencer says you too. And Allie says thanks, drive safe, guys. So. She's waving at them. We get this overhead shot. Like, all their cars are there. Um, Arya and Hannah both have a ton of shit packed on top of their cars. They're just, like, once more with theory there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, are they all just going to, like, drive to college alone? Yep. I mean, that's a shitty ride for Arya and especially Emily there. I mean, I guess uh, it'll, like, give you, give you some time to think, but... Then again, I thought, was... <laughs> Wasn't it like Lucas and Caleb who like made like a super long drive in a very short time at the end of season one? There is a very big difference between driving cross country with two people and driving cross country or driving anywhere with but, a long trip with one person. But if one of them is Lucas, wouldn't you rather be alone? Yeah, I need to talk about Star Wars. Um, I don't know. Give Emily some time to think. And Allie's, you know, they're they're all getting in their cars, driving away. Allie takes a big breath. She has a little A necklace on. I like that. And yeah. She's kind of putting on a smile and waving at them as they go. And then title card, 5,000 years later. (laughs) Five years later, the actual time jump. It's here. Oh, shit. Yeah, so we push in on the classroom at Rosewood High. This is a very interesting feel. It's almost like like nightmarish dreamlike in a way. Well, the the classroom here, I mean, we presume it's Rosewood, but the halls and the door are painted a little bit differently. It looks slightly different because it's five years later. We see... uh, we hear and then see writing on a chalkboard. Someone is writing Mrs. Rowland. And then blonde future Aria comes running in and she says, he's coming for you. Oh, shit. More see, of a person, dirty blonde, really. Yeah. So the person writing this is blonder Allison, who looks a lot like Portia Doubleday in the uh, time jump. Emily and Hannah then come running in. Hannah's, or Hannah's hair is longer. Emily's wearing a white button-up shirt and leather pants. And Emily's like, we have to go. And Hannah's like, now, Allison. On the background behind Allison is a quote from the Scarlet Letter says trusting no man is his friend he could not recognize a real enemy when one appeared and emily says we That's came deep. back here we came back here for you Allie. so move it well so oh, details here De- let's not rush to, through this too fast lots of details to take in uh the first one is that allison is married or right? just change your name mrs probably, rollins probably. uh allison is a teacher mm-hmm. at rosewood apparently um that quote is also very interesting about not recognizing an enemy 
because you, you trusted no friend. Well, Allison, who was just wearing an A necklace, quoted from the Scarlet Letter. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, Emily with the leather pants, Arya, the dirty blonde, um, she's wearing like a weird green pattern dress. It's, it's Arya-ish, but it's definitely like older Arya-ish. Yeah, but it looks like she also ripped it off a canvas in a museum. Hannah has longer blonde hair. Hannah does not have a baby bump. So many people are like, oh my god, Hannah's pregnant because of like some other promo photos, but she definitely looks like normal Hannah here. Um, and... The way they're talking to her, like, we have to go now, Allison. We came back here for you, Allison, so move it. Like, they're not too happy with Allie. Like, right. whatever's going on here, there's, like, a weird dynamic between the two of them. Right. It's, like, they're just, like, here to, like, do this bitch a favor. Uh, Spencer runs in in, like, a trench coat. Some serious bangs happening. Uh, and Spencer says it's too late. He's already here. And they all look back at Allie, who seems very worried and scared. And scene. That is where we leave the show until january to to the next year yeah Mm -hmm. the next episode is called of late i dream of rosewood which is an interesting title it's a twilight zone reference to of late i dream of cliffordville so many questions uh who is he why are emily and hannah so unhappy to be there who is this person that Allie married to be continued Mm -hmm. so that was Game over, Charles. I think we did our best to give it the full treatment. We've been talking for a long time. <laughs> Any last thoughts? Do you want to talk about the the answers to questions that I, Marlon King, did for Entertainment Weekly? Uh, is there anything interesting there? Well, like Ian killed himself. Mona staged the note in the crime scene. Well, I always uh, felt like that was something you could infer. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it's not a very exciting answer and it would have been nice to work it in, but I'm not sure. Like, it basically, they just need a moment to be like, by the way, Ian killed himself. Like, that would have been good to put in back in uh, uh, 401 when, mm-hmm. when Mona was throwing out her answers. That was probably the time to do it. Right. Uh, you know, Charlotte definitely was the one who almost killed Jason in the elevator because uh, she got upset. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sarah he was the... Oh, uh, so they're saying that Sarah Harvey was the one who saved the girls from the Thornhill Lodge fire. One of them. Yeah. Uh, Charlotte, again, drove that car into Emily's house. Uh, she's the one who, as said in the episode, kidnapped Emily, put her in the coffin. It was Charlotte who blew up Toby's house. Well, you know, uh, one one detail we glossed over, right before Sarah Harvey got knocked the fuck out by Emily, she did say, I was trying to protect you. Mm-hmm. So there's something going on there. Yeah. Um, well, and, and, you know, we all were creeped out and touched upon the, uh, no matter what happens, I do care about you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's funny. They like, they tease us so much that they're just daring us to like, you know, believe that Sarah actually is involved in the plot. And then like, Ooh, yep. She is. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and I'm says that who killed Jessica is still a mystery and that it was uh, like a medical cadaver that was in the uh, barrel. And the barrel means nothing as, as predicted. Um, so I, I hope we covered everything there. There may be a few minor plot points we never touched on as, as far as like, not in this episode, but just like, you know, lingering questions. So feel free to write us about that and maybe we can talk about it eventually. Um, got a few reviews in iTunes. Thanks to Sin Syndicat, uh, Prisoner, Dr. W, Dimey, Crossroads with a K, uh, Mario Oladin. Maggie McGinnity, 
Gregua, The Necessity of Fate, and IU Gradles. Uh, thank you to all of them for leaving us reviews on iTunes. We really appreciate that. If you want to do that, you can do that. Rate or review us in iTunes. Just repeating myself now. Uh, also, a uh, shout out to Ranch Depressing on Reddit. Uh, you are not our most annoying Twitter follower. And also, hello to Lori on Reddit, who wrote me a nice long post uh, giving me her thoughts on the episode. Marco, thoughts? Um, I don't even know where to begin in mm-hmm. saying hey to people, but there's so many. Uh, sorry for a lot of people. I was just checking. A lot of people tweeted us that they're not so patiently awaiting this episode. <laughs> so uh, You're going to be patiently waiting a little bit longer because I have to do more editing than usual on this one to edit some audio in. Uh, yeah. uh, anyway, yeah, broswatchpll2.com is where you can go to our website page and leave us long comments. Um, I guess I should say, obviously, there's a, you know, more controversy than usual in this episode. So be nice if you are going to get into discussions with other people on our website page. Um, and you can also talk to us on uh, our Twitter at broswatchpll2. Yeah, it's a sensitive topic. Uh, we tried to treat it with respect i hope hope we didn't fumble too much um also uh like again heather and jacob we're doing a round table with them in just a few days we're looking forward to it if you have any questions or anything anything you want to talk about send it our way uh same thing we're doing talking to the ladies from the bustle podcast looking forward to that um yeah that's it so we'll we'll be doing some stuff in the off season so you you know you won't you'll hear from us before january for sure but hey you know it's just it's going to be a little while before we do normal one of these podcasts again. So it's been fun. And uh, thank you all for listening. And thank you so we'll... much for putting up with three hours of us. Yeah. See you on the other side. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.